0: And now it's time for a voicemail from an anonymous listener.
1: Hey Mark and the gang. I'm calling from East Texas and last week's episode was particularly eye-opening. I had no idea I could be using crocodile dung for so many other things. To think of all the dung I've thrown out over the years when I'm done with it, what a waste. Anyways, uh, I just had to share this little story with you. Uh, So be me. I was about 11 or 12 Summertime my parents recently got divorced my dad got remarried pretty quick after the divorce Uh, I'm not a big fan of the stepmom really Dad drags me to a church affiliated summer camp out Uh, But it's in Arkansas. It's humid swamp ass is occurring at an alarming rate I know not one sold this camp out. Uh, I try to approach other kids. Everybody's kind of already paired off and huddled up in their little social groups. Uh, I'm not really the strongest socializer at this point in my life. So, after a few days of frustration not being able to fit in with all the other kids and my swamp ass progressing at an alarming and impressive rate, I take a a nice cool shower late at night in the group you know shower facility in the campsite and I felt kind of constipated I felt pretty internally uneasy over the last few days Uh, but tonight you know what tonight I I feel the tides changing things are moving around down there and uh, those things have been previously rusted shut and now they're They're feeling flexible, and I feel like if the proper amount of force is applied, I may be able to yield a quite hefty payload. Uh, All the other kids have been dicks to me so far, so what do I do? Uh, I think about it for a second, not more than two seconds, and squat down and leave a nice fat loaf right on the shower floor. Uh, Unlike Juan, I make no attempt to hide my act. If anything, I try to drop it carefully, so as not to deform its predestined shape. Uh, then I went back to my pop-up camper. I grinned at my father, my stepmother, and slept like a log. Get it? A log. Uh, the shower is really close to the campsite, so I was able to hear all the commotion when people walked into the showers the next morning. Plan went off without a hitch. And I gotta tell you, looking back on it, no regrets. Uh, a milestone in my life, if anything. Uh, so I just just wanted to reach out to you and share share that little nugget with you. Uh, oh, and Juan might be some kind of changeling freak. Uh, if he can honestly justify his cheese grater routine, or as I'd prefer to call it, the Play-Doh spaghetti routine, uh, but he's not okay with peeing in the shower. Uh, I can't understand that that leap in logic. Uh, well, that's all I got. Sincerely, camping while constipated and consternated.
0: On this episode, men are required to serve two years in eight months, and women are required to serve two years. Except for Gal Gadot, because now she's you know Wonder Woman.
2: Yep, she's serving the whole world right now.
0: Exactly. So she had to sign a longer. Did
2: contract. she? Ser- I'm sure she did serve in the military at one point, right? She did. Yeah.
3: God. Yeah,
0: she
2: did. <laughs> yep. <laughs> not a, like that would. Can you imagine? Like, w- 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 oh my god! Never mind.
3: <laughs> Adam doesn't even have yeah. words. <laughs> like, I, 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 <laughs>
4: well, you better not. Fu- you better not fuck up. She'll kill you in three moves.
2: Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: no means no, motherfucker. <laughs> i tell you what, she's definitely never getting Harvey Weinstein, because she'll put that like, motherfucker on his ass.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of No Country for Old Mark and Wine. I am your host Mark Pearson, and these are my cheese-grading and Anunnaki-loving co-hosts <laughs> Juan Smith, and unapologetic
2: <laughs> Anunnaki <laughs> subservient Adam. We'll
0: uh, see listening. who's
2: laughing in the end. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you for you know listening and <laughs> reaching out to us this week. Uh, you can hit us up on facebook.com slash no country podcast. We're also on Instagram at no underscore country underscore podcast. We're also on Twitter at podcast underscore country. Uh, you can email us at no country podcast at gmail.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 346 0050. There might be so. a
2: flood of emails this week just based on the on the topic.
0: we'll 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 wait and see well um i think it'll be we're gonna navigate some interesting waters here on this topic today this week a very interesting topic at least for me i think uh you'll be engaged by it there's a lot of uh death and destruction and uh war and conflict and espionage so it's it's going to be very interesting but uh today we are going to explore Some military and espionage history, uh, particularly in the country of Israel. Why Israel? Well, because Israel is basically a Western democracy surrounded on all sides by mortal enemies who want to destroy it. Israel's current population is 8.8 million. And compare that to the population of New York City, which is 8.399 million. So it's a very small country, but it's, you know, not, I mean, it's heavily populated for how small it is, but you know, a lot of people probably don't realize just how small it is. It consists of only eight thousand five hundred and fifty square miles, which is roughly about the size of New York's landfill, the state of New Jersey. <laughs> oh, <damn>. Ouch! <laughs> Love you, Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what makes their military so new- unique? And how have they been able to survive being surrounded by enemies for the past 72 years? Well, uh, some would say now that it's because they have superior weapons and military technology. Well, they currently do, but that was not always the case. And you also have to remember that a lot of, the peop- a lot of people who have lived in and in currently live in Israel you know, are children and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. They are very aware of how many enemies they have and will do whatever is necessary to ensure their survival. So, imagine, you know, if your parents and grandparents lived through, like, one of the worst atrocities of all time, you would uh, have a different outlook on life, because you'd know you would have heard stories about that.
3: Oh, yeah, for sure.
4: Yeah, they'd be a lot more personal to you, because it'd be directly related to your family.
0: Yeah. So,
2: after By the way, I'm basing all my knowledge of this whole thing- On uh, Lawrence of Arabia, so (laughs) from what I remember from that movie, some white guy came in and saved everybody, so that's just what I based my history on. I hope that this research that you did, this detailed research, backs that opinion up, but I
0: have have a feeling it won't. It it won't, actually. (laughs) Well, that's a good start. (laughs) And actually, I've never seen that movie. I've seen clips of it and parts of it, but I've never seen it all the way through.
2: Oh, it's a really good movie. Oh, Obviously, sure I was being is. very sarcastic. It's kind of pretty pretty bad for the British. It makes them look really bad. Were but, you, uh, though? Yeah, they were. Yeah, <laughs> the British were fucked up. Uh, I'm sure they will the... We'll, we'll discuss that later, I'm sure. Yeah, actually, uh, after... They don't really, Afro- really care Afro- how
4: they look. You've seen their dental
2: plan.
0: <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dude, yeah, the goodbye?
2: British are freaking... Blow- oh, they're glowing up right now. Haven't you seen Adele? Lost all that weight? She's gonna... Yeah. She's looking skinnier. So she's That's the reverse the of blowing it up.
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after World War II in 1947, the United Nations voted. Jew- you yeah, almost said Anunnaki. You almost said it. Sure, sure. Uh, the United <laughs> Nations voted that the Jewish people should be given land from the British mandate of Palestine with separate land for the Jewish people and the Palestinian peoples. So yeah, at that time, you know, the British, you know, the British empire was crumbling. Their colonies were they were either revolting or being taken away. But at that point in time, British, Britain controlled a large part of the Middle East. And so the UN kind of pushed and pressured them like, hey, you know, this horrible holocaust just happened. Let's give them their ancestral homeland back. And, you know, we'll also leave some room for the Palestinians, too. Well, immediately, the Palestinians and the surrounding Arab countries...
2: Were they getting along at that time? No. So so then the solution was, hey, uh, let's just get these people who hate each other's guts, and we'll give a piece to one side and a piece to the other side and expect it to actually work out?
0: Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. Not a good start. No, not a good start at all. Uh, yeah, so immediately the surrounding Arab countries said they were going to destroy the Israeli state. Uh, this began what is now known as the War of Independence in 1948, uh, also known as the Arab Israeli War. Uh, the war actually began as a civil war between the Palestinians and the Jews when it was announced that there would be a Jewish state. The British were technically still in charge of the region. But they adopted a more hands-off approach to the conflict and quickly withdrew. At the time, the Arabs outnumbered the Jews in the area by a factor of two to one. So they were very confident that they would very easily win the conflict.
3: And then... (laughs) And then,
0: the day the British mandate expired, the first Prime Minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, officially declared their statehood and wrote in his diary, quote, in the country, there is celebration and profound joy. And once again, I am a mourner among the celebrants. And he said that because he knew that there would be a high cost of lives for Israel to be able to remain its own country. So on the very next day, not even 24 hours later, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Jordan, and Egypt all invaded the one-day-old country of Israel.
2: That didn't take How time. the hell? Uh, okay, yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, how did they combat and win this impossible war? Well, the day before the invasion, French intelligence notified the Israel. Isn't that kind of an oxymoron? Occupier- a- oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. They notified the Israelis of the Arabs' locations and military plans. Also, immigration from Israel, to Israel from all around the world picked up immediately, and this led to an increase in men to fight in the war. So yeah, before, uh, before the British mandate expired, Britain was actually limiting how many uh, Jews could immigrate to uh, Israel. They already had these plans to make them their own state, but they, were, they weren't fighting in the Civil War, but they also weren't letting new immigrants in. So... During the Civil War, people were dying, but they weren't be able to like, replace their fighting men. But as soon as the British completely pulled out, then like, droves of people started coming in, people fleeing from Europe and other parts of the world that wanted to come to Israel. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. So uh, I got to find my spot now. Okay. So the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, was formed at this time from two rival Israeli militias. Many of the immigrants who joined to fight in the IDF didn't even speak the same language, and many of the people who fought were survivors of the Holocaust. I guess if you survived the Holocaust, you wouldn't be very afraid to fight in a war for your new home. Such boss. Yeah, it kind of still,
2: kind of sucks. It's like you yeah, just get through lead- one of the the worst war in human history in terms of like loss of life and damage to uh, countries, yeah. and then you're like, well, I think I'll just keep fighting.
4: Yeah. But imagine having was, the boss. But that's a pretty sweet thing. Fight.
2: But think about it. I mean, that's got to be unprecedented. Has there ever been a country uh, created just for one religious group? Like, so, I mean, the, the stakes are, yeah. I mean, they are fighting, but the reward is pretty good. I mean, it's like.
0: Similarly, Liberia and Africa was formed to a similar, it was sort of similarly after slavery ended in America, the country of Liberia and Africa was formed. And that was for slaves to go back to Africa if they wanted to. But that's been a war-torn country now ever since then. It's of danger. And not, it's not, it's had its moments of like civil war and civil unrest and stuff. So it's kind of like in between. But it wasn't directly in response to a war unless you consider like the civil war. So similar situation. But anyways, Egypt invaded from the south and made it all the way to the coastal city of Ashdod and then to the desert city of Beersheba. Syria so wait, wait, inva- wait, wait, wait. What was what?
2: Egypt's like, like? dog in the fight in this, or Jordan, or Lebanon? You name all these countries that invaded all yeah. at the same time. Why were they all on board with invading this, this new country?
0: They didn't want the Jewish people there, and they wanted an, an, an Arab country there, and they just wanted to kill all the Jews.
2: Uh. Yeah. It was, there's no other side of that. Just like no, it
0: was like an ethnic-slash-religious war.
2: Yikes. they thought
0: the territory should be just arab controlled and actually interestingly um part of the reason you could argue that part of the reason that the middle east is so hostile even still or i should say like tumultuous is during the british mandate when they were there they promised uh the not the saudis but like the groups of the arabs at the time they said hey you know before even world war ii actually it was around it was either before or after world war one I. I don't exactly remember when but they said you know what we're gonna pull out and we're gonna let you rule yourselves and all of the arabs collectively had agreed on a system of government and who they wanted to rule them and then the British said, "You know what? We're going to keep it anyway." And yeah, so then, that, this, is kind of uh, lo-
2: this is a This is Lawrence of Arabia. That's what they talk yeah. about. That's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. So and Britain, it ends with him being all. Well, never mind. I won't spoil yeah. it. Britain, even though it's 60, 70 years since it came out, yeah. it's kind of on you at this point for not knowing.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure, uh, Britain. Well, I I wasn't doing the classic, history of that all time yeah.
2: classic movie.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, they basically yeah. Egypt invaded from the south, and then Syria invaded from the north and Jordan from the east. The large Jordan also had the largest and most experienced military in the area, and they were had been trained by the British. And they actually took Jerusalem. Completely outgunned and outnumbered, the Israelis were determined to fight. At a kibbutz in Yad Mordecai, one hundred Israeli kibbutzniks and two paramilitary squads armed with simple rifles and one machine gun and only one anti-tank weapon fought off 2,500 Egyptian soldiers who were equipped with armor, aircraft, and artillery for five whole days. How is that even possible? (laughs) (laughs) It's, yeah. Are we sure that's accurate? Accurate, yes.
2: Hmm. Yep. Also the the walls of Jericho came down from singing and <laughs> the red sea was parted. Okay, interesting little uh thread we got going on here.
0: One of the one of the greatest one of the greatest things I saw was someone wrote a comment on an article and they said, "How did it, you know, someone above had posted, "How did Israel win such an impossible war?" and the guy below put, "Uh it kind of sounds like a higher power got involved."
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean this is- <laughs>
0: It's, literally it was an impossible war uh so the israelis only suffered minor losses at that small battle but the egyptians suffered heavy casualties still in the first month of the war it still went very badly for israel they had so wait three- real
2: quick what are the numbers on that compared to the alamo uh,
0: i didn't directly compare them to the alamo so we're just because gonna assume that texas
2: is still number one
0: Yeah, I mean, how can it not be? How (laughs) can Texas not be number one? I mean, let's just be real. Yeah. yeah, The the Israelis had three major counterattacks fail in the first month, and when they tried to rescue their people from the Jewish quarter from the old city of Jerusalem, they also failed. So on June 11th, the United Nations stepped in and arranged for a temporary 28-day truce to put an end to the fighting. There was also an arms embargo to try and keep the peace. Despite the arms embargo, both sides fortified their positions and imported more weapons <laughs> at, like, you know, two kids being separated at school for fighting. They were like, oh, yeah, we'll just get our buddies and get our friends and go back and fight later. Um, Is- Israel smuggled in a massive shipment of weapons from Czechoslovakia, including 25,000 rifles, 5,000 machine guns, and 50 million rounds of ammunition during Whoa. this 28-day period. They were not missing So around. they did
2: not follow the embargo is what you're saying?
0: No. They were like, screw this. <laughs> so uh, during the truce, they Im- immigrated even more people and doubled their manpower. So, I mean, think of 28 days. You basically had a month to rearm yourself and just do everything you could to get ready for this fight that you pretty much knew was coming. So in July, the Israelis launched a major offensive called Operation Danny, which was named after an officer who was killed earlier in the war. They first attacked the Arab strongholds of Lod and Rami before heading to Jerusalem. They were successful in capturing Lod and Rami and the local airport, and this gave them a strategic foothold. In a move that is still criticized today, the Israelis also had begun to remove the Palestinians from their homes and villages, and began relocating them to other places, and then replacing their home, in their homes with their own Jewish people. Ben Gurion, however, the, yeah, yeah, kind of nasty. Cool. No, Ben Gurion, the prime minister, however, let the inhabitants of Nazareth stay because they had surrendered. And because of this, Nazareth is still, to this day, has the highest population of Arabs in one place in Israel. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, the siege of Jerusalem failed, and Israel was not able to recapture it, or, and then Ben-Gurion wanted to try and retake Jerusalem again, but his military advisors wanted to focus on other fronts, such as the southern Negev desert and up north towards Syria. They put it to a vote and Ben-Gurion lost. Despite this, they were very successful in taking back their land on the other two fronts. By the winter, they had driven out the Egyptians and the Syrians. One percent of Israel's total population at the time died in this war, and some 2,000 Holocaust survivors died in the war as well. Because of this war, the Jews because of this war, Jews that had been born in Arab countries were then expelled, and they fled to Israel, making Israel even stronger. Despite having lost Jerusalem, Israel came out of the war stronger, and because of it, they also started to create a more modern military. That's an amazing so, feat.
2: Which countries? Yeah. Which countries? Uh, kicked out uh, Jewish people?
0: All of the Arab countries in the area, like the northern African countries. The other countries like Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, those surrounding countries surrounding there, and actually, when I went to a museum in Tel Aviv, they have a whole section of the museum about that particular time, you know, and it goes through like different countries, and then it gives stories of like people who were kicked out of those you know certain countries like Egypt or whatever, or you know Libya, and the crazy thing was was in the stories. There were still several people who didn't want to leave because they're like, no, my home is in Egypt. And the Egyptians were just like, either leave or we'll kill you. So how does this
2: happen just years after the The Holocaust? Holocaust?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And how how is this not talked about? Largely because, in my opinion, largely because um, World War II had just ended, the Cold War had just begun. The powers at be were focusing more on how do we, you know, fight this Cold War and stop the Russians, and then also partially because nobody really wanted to get involved in another bloody, what seemed like endless conflict. Mm-hmm. So Israel was kind of just stuck, left to defend themselves.
2: So Now, if religion wasn't a factor, do you think all of this would have happened?
0: Yeah, I think it probably still would have happened.
3: Think so, huh?
0: I still think it was a racial thing, too. More than... I think it was, you know, both parts, racial and religious.
2: So did any of those countries have any issues with anyone that was non-Jewish?
0: At that time, no. Like, they were angry at the British for, you know, not giving them the right to rule themselves earlier. So... But other than that, you know, like the Western... They weren't... they, They were not concerned with taking sides of the ussr or you know the other side of the cold war and really at that time the rest of the world was just worried about the cold war that's all ever anybody wanted to really focus on and think about because at that time in the late 40s was like the time of the berlin airlift and the berlin wall you know stuff like that and so everyone was more focused on those things because russia seemed like the much bigger threat and then you know there was also the nuclear bomb and then not long after that you know the russians have the bomb so then the thoughts and the Fears of nuclear war comes into it. So this war between the Arabs and the Jews didn't seem all that important to the rest of the world.
2: Right, it makes sense, I guess. Yeah.
0: So over the years there were many guerrilla incursions and from the surrounding Arab countries, and the also a war over the Suez Canal. But Israel was determined to stay despite being surrounded by mortal enemies. So that brings us to. 1967 when an arab coalition was notified by the ussr that israel was intending to strike syria this information was false but in response the egyptians moved troops to the israeli egyptian border in the sinai peninsula and told the un peacekeeping force to leave <laughs> that was so you kind of knew what they were going to do and in response to this the un requested permission to deploy the UNEF the United Nations Emergency Force to the Israeli side of the border but Israel refused so Israel pretty much has balls of steel like the UN's like hey we're going to come in and help protect you and like no nah, we got this they wanted why? to fight i think they wanted to fight the war they wanted to fight the arabs themselves and they didn't want the UN to meddle with it like i don't know exactly why but it seems to me they just you know felt like they had to defend their own turf or something similarly. Mm,
2: there was no other reasoning behind it?
0: Well, I don't know. After Egypt and moved in and the UN moved out of the Egyptian Israeli border, Egypt, Syria, and Jordan and Israel all mobilized their forces to fight. And they were all intent on fighting. Iraq also sent in an expeditionary force, and Saudi Arabia also voiced their desire to participate in any military action. That involved Israel. Egypt then set up a blockade at the Straits of Tehran to keep Israeli ships from leaving. Israel then decided, you know what, we've had enough of this, and they decided to go to war. So at this point, What year Israel, is this right now? That year's 1967.
4: Because I was wondering, because my dad served in the Air Force and was training Israelis and Saudis. I'm like, I don't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, the Saudis, the Saudis bought a lot of equipment over the years from the United States, so they also got training, too. Like, a lot of, most of Saudi's military equipment has been purchased from America. I mean, they got the money. True that. Yeah. So, uh, once again, Israel was completely outgunned. Israel had 100,000 troops, and the Arabs had 240,000. Israel had eight hundred. How could they tanks? not
2: muster more people from like four or five different countries?
0: I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's the a, fact
4: that you're immigrating to go fight. If, <laughs> if
0: this was Americans, there'd be like no. Three he's people talking from about them. the Arabs. How could oh. the Arabs, like five countries, not bring more people? Yeah, because it's
2: like it's five to one country wise, but it's only like two to one people wise.
0: Part of, in this is my own personal opinion. Part of the issue I think is there was a lot of belief at the time that israel is just this tiny small country which barely has three million people and we'll just get our five armies together and they'll be easy to wipe out because we're these five bigger nations and they're just this little country and we'll just take it over easily a lot of arrogance and pride i think went into that the decision making for that israel had 800 tanks and the arabs had 2504 Whoa. And then Israel had 300 aircraft and the Arabs had 957. So from a pure number standpoint, Israel didn't even stand a chance. So Israel knew that they were overmatched and decided to act with precision and strategy. So how did they, how did they come about you know, coming up with a strategy? Well, first, the Israeli media published false reports that many of their soldiers were on vacation. Then they also disabled the tracking equipment and bugs of the U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv to keep the United States completely in the dark about what their plans were. Because of the media reports, the Egyptian Air Force was not on alert and their aircraft were just sitting on the ground. On June 5th, Israel sent in 200 aircraft and attacked 14 Egyptian airfields, catching them by surprise, destroying 338 aircraft and a hundred Egyptian pilots were killed in just under three hours. Wait. Syria
2: yeah. hasn't a war been like announced yet at nope, all. It was
0: a surprise attack.
2: It's kind of a Pearl Harbor
0: esque,
4: yeah, style attack. attack. But even with that many numbers down, they're still like
0: doubled. Yeah, even with that many numbers down, they're still doubled. So, That's kind of a risky,
2: uh, risque kind of a move. I mean, it's oh, basically that- you're basically declaring war.
0: That that wasn't the end of the move. Oh, there's more. There's more. So in response to this, Syria and Jordan then launched an air attack on Israel. In response to this, the Israelis had planned for this. And so once the air attack on Israel was over and the Jordanian and Syrian aircraft were back at their bases, the Israelis launched a counterattack on the Jordanian and Syrian airfields and destroyed most, if not all, of the Syrian and Iraqi Jordanian aircraft. Israel, Israel only lost 19 aircraft in these attacks, and this gave them a huge advantage for the rest of the war since they had complete air superiority. They basically decimated the collective air forces of all those nations.
2: Damn.
0: Yeah. So then That's a
2: the, major fuck-ups by all those other
0: countries.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just got outsmarted, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. Straight well, they, I, here, here's, the, here's the thing that I don't understand. Like, if you're in any sort of intelligence agency and you get a newspaper from, you know, the foreign country that says, oh, most of our soldiers are on vacation, are you ever going to seriously believe that? I mean, <laughs> why, would even, why would that
2: even be in the newspaper?
0: Exactly. Especially if you're preparing for war. Like, if I was some intelligence officer and I saw that, I'd be like, Every alarm bell in my head would be going off. I'd be like, okay, our forces are at the border. Everybody's waiting for the first shot to be fired. We know they're not on vacation, but they backed down as if they were. They had all of their aircraft on the ground. Like,
4: it's the media, man. They believe the media.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's what it is.
0: Yeah, it, it, it really is.
2: is. Yeah. That's fucked up, man. It is. But it worked to their advantage. So many bad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> so them ground- through my head right now.
0: No, Sam. I don't care. No, perhaps. <laughs> I'm not trying to get canceled over here. <laughs> so the ground war was fought on three fronts, the Egyptian border, the Jordanian border, and the Syrian border. Israel was outnumbered in all fronts, but they used their unchallenged aircraft to attack ahead of their troops of, you know, the Arab ground forces. So Israel pushed back the Egyptian forces, but the Egyptian forces made it through the battle with light losses. But this is where the tide started to turn. The Egyptian commander in Cairo, Abdel Hakim Amir, panicked and ordered a full retreat of all Egyptian units from Sinai after one of their cities in Sinai fell to Israel. As the Egyptians retreated, the IDF pursued them and inflicted heavy losses. They cut off the Egyptians at three passes from the Sinai Peninsula and killed 10,000 Egyptians in one day alone. Damn. Yeah. They are not fucking around, man. Not at all. So then the UN stepped in and arranged a ceasefire between Egypt and Israel. But on the Jordanian front, Israel attacked East Jerusalem ramallah and bethlehem idf IDF paratroopers were dropped into the old city of jerusalem to try and protect the holy sites there and they captured it with very little resistance the idf also captured hebron and nablus and began pushing the jordanians back into jordan leaving israel with victory on that front and then on the syrian front the syrians sent in a small attack force but they were quickly beaten back by the idf and then the IDF pushed the Syrians back into the Golan Heights and took the Golan Heights from the Syrians. And Israel still possesses the Golden Heights, which is still technically part of Syria, but they won't give it back.
2: I would say all these names sound so familiar. Like I've heard them in the news when I was just kind yeah. of listening in passing. Yeah. And I never really looked into it.
0: Yeah. There's still... The Golan Heights was one place I wanted to go when I visited Israel last year, but there was just It was raining so much. I was like, I'm not going to get to go hiking if it's just raining all the time. So I didn't go there, and I went somewhere else instead. But it's and a really beautiful this? place. It's in north, north Israel on the Israel, border of Israel and Syria, the Golan Heights. It's the upper right, if you look at the map, the upper right portion of Israel. It's gotcha. beautiful up there. So
4: basically, these people are like, <laughs> I survived the Holocaust. I'm not scared of shit.
0: Yeah, and they also <laughs> like, knew that they also knew that if we don't fight for this, like it's just going to get taken away from us.
4: It was an you know, all it was like an all or nothing it, situation for them. Yeah. So
2: you say that they took over this area, the Golan Heights, yeah. Technically still part of Syria. Well, it's And like, they never gave it back.
0: Right. They, they it was because okay, the reason they say technically part of Syria was because when the Brit- British mandate expired, they defined these borders of like the East Bank and the West Bank and you know, this part would be the, you know, Israelis, and this part would be the Palestinians. But during this conflict, they took over the Sinai Peninsula, which is part of Egypt, and then they took over the Golan Heights, which was part of Syria. So according to that British mandate, like the 1947-48 map, they expanded, Israel expanded their territory into Syria and into Egypt, but they didn't, you know, give that territory back to Syria. Why not? So, uh, they wanted to keep it. <laughs> they were like, nope, it's ours. And it's actually still like the Syrians, like, still to this day, like um, occasionally the Syrians will send in like a rocket attack to the Golan Heights to, you know, just like make people scared. But the, Israel, the Israelis have the Iron Dome anti-rocket, anti-missile system that protects people. So it's pretty much just kind of a moot point now. Uh, so that was the six again, day war. And
2: again, neither oh, Egypt or Syria attacked uh, Israel, Israel at any no, point.
0: Israel started this war. The six day war was started by Israel. They thought, you know what? Forget this. We're going to start this and we're going to finish it. So they did a whole preemptive strike and they did all of that in six days. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. The first day was basically the air attack and. They basically just decimated the air forces of the Arab countries, and then they went on the ground offensive, and they in six days they went from the border of Israel all the way to the Suez Canal, and then took the Golan Heights and and pushed the Jordanians back to Jordan.
2: And what are the what is the UN saying during all this?
0: During this, the UN was like, "Hey, you know, let's come to a ceasefire," and then finally, you know, after Israel got back Jerusalem, and their. they got yeah they got Jack back to Jerusalem because they wanted Jerusalem back and they wanted you know the land up to where they basically wanted to restore their borders as they had before the first war, but they ended up taking more territory.
2: The first of their wars, not like the, right. not World War, right? I.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, the first of their wars. Yeah, when I say the first war, it's the War of Independence, which was nineteen forty-eight. Gotcha. So, yeah. So. There was another limited war between Egypt, the USSR, Jordan and Syria and the Palestinian Liberation Organization and Israel known as the War of Attrition between 1969 and 1970, but no territory was exchanged in this war and eventually it ended with a ceasefire. There is actually several like conflicts and wars. Like there were so many, I just picked the most interesting or the craziest or the biggest ones because It would be like a six-hour podcast if I went into all of them. (laughs) It's just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, for the Jewish culture and the Jewish religion, Yom Kippur is a very solemn religious fast. It is also known as the Jewish Day of Atonement. It is the holiest day of the year for the Jews, and it is a time of reflection, fasting, and prayer. During Yom Kippur, Israel comes to a complete standstill. Roads are empty, businesses are closed, stores are closed, and people honor this, as people honor this sacred holy day. I've seen pictures of it, like, when I was looking into going, like, of several travel websites were like, you know, if you want to go, just don't go over Yom Kippur, because everything's going to be closed, and you're just going to kind of be like, what do I do? So, uh, during Yom Kippur in 1973, another coalition of Arab states led by Egypt and Syria and backed by the USSR, attacked Israel, which was Israel at that time, which was backed by the United States. So, how did this happen after Israel had so handily beaten the Arab coalition just six years before? Israel had become very overconfident. They believed that since they had won so quickly and decisively during the Six Day War, the Arabs wouldn't dare try attacking them again. Also, at the president of Egypt, Anwar Sadat, began lulling Israel into a false sense of security by sending emissaries to the United States under the guise of establishing diplomatic relations with Israel. And he actually had been planning this for like a year. The prime minister of Israel, Golda Meir, Israel's first and only female prime minister, had received reports of Syrian forces massing on the Golan Heights but her military advisors insisted that they were safe and that they would have ample warnings should any country come to attack them. Even as close as six hours before the attack, Minister of Defense Moshe Dayan argued that the war was unlikely while General David Elazar called for a full-scale mobilization and preemptive strike. Mir approved of full-scale, of full-scale mobilization, but chose not to go with a preemptive strike. She believed that no European nation would come to their aid, but knew that the United States would back them in a war. She chose to inform Washington, Washington, D.C. of their choice to mobilize the armed forces, but not to strike first. Later on, after the war, U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger said that if Israel had launched a preemptive strike, Israel would not have received, quote, so much as a nail. So, in hindsight, Israel made the right choice by not launching a preemptive strike. So on t- October 6th, 1973. is that still like
2: reverberations from the first time they did it? I bet you they probably caught a lot of shit when oh, they-, they
0: did. They, they, um, and especially during this cold war time, everything was all about who's going to launch nukes, who's going to start world war three. And nobody wanted to be that, that person that did that. And, and that was actually something that Kissinger and Nixon talked with we about they were like look you can't be an aggressor if you attack first you're going to be an aggressor you know like we'll help you if anything happens but even america really didn't wasn't you know they thought well arabs will probably attack but israel will probably be okay they weren't really wanting to get involved in a middle east war right so but they definitely knew that if they if israel attacked first that would make them look bad to the world. And so then if they helped them, then that would make them, you know, look like they were helping the aggressors and they didn't want any part of that. So yeah, on Yom Kippur, Syria and Egypt attacked from the north and south like they did before. Just, and just after 2 p.m., military couriers notified Jews across Israel that Syria and Egypt had invaded. So as men ran out of synagogues to go fight, they were still wearing their prayer shawls ironically, the fact that they attacked on Yom Kippur made it easy for the men to get to their units to fight since all the roads were empty. Hmm. If, if anything had been, you know, if it had been a normal day, the you know, roads would have had a lot more traffic on them and it would have been harder for the guys to get to the front lines. The crazy thing is, is like, if we think about that, like, if I think about that, I think, oh, you know, like, someone hypothetically attacks America You know, if you live in Nebraska, you know, it's going to take a couple days to get to the front if, you know, they attack from the north. You know, it's going to take a couple days' drive and get everything ready. There, it's like you can go from, like, I went from Beersheba, Israel, to Haifa, which is over halfway across the country in, like, two hours on the train. It's it's not very far. So you can get to anywhere pretty quickly.
4: I guess that's the advantage of being a small area.
0: Yeah at at its widest at the widest point Israel is like 250 miles wide. It's very narrow. It's you know, it's a small it's like, you know, small small area.
2: Say so like New Jersey?
0: So, yeah, that, you know, New England's dump, you could say. Oh, <laughs> or like Costa Rica or thought. <laughs> New England didn't know what it had coming today, Or New Jersey. <laughs> no, it definitely didn't. Um, Egypt had constructed ferries and quickly sent 70,000 troops and 2,000 tanks into Israel. Both Syria and Egypt had started the war with airstrikes and artillery. On the other side of the Suez Canal, where Israel had you know, occupied, they had constructed what they called the Barlev Line. It was a wall of fortifications meant to keep the Egyptians out. The Israelis arrogantly boasted that, they, that the Barlev Line could withstand a direct assault for up to 48 hours, but it only lasted a few hours before the Egyptians cut right through it. Once through the Bar-lev line, the Egyptians dismantled the fortifications and continued forward. Egypt had also learned from the six-day war. They had obtained surface-to-air missiles, leaving Israel's mighty air force extremely vulnerable and somewhat ineffective. Hmm. Yeah, so they, they you know, they caught on. In the north, Syria invaded with 40,000 troops and 1,500 tanks, while Israel only had 177 tanks on the northern front. Israel was sent reeling on both fronts and suffered heavy losses. Now that Israel was falling back and other Arab nations wanted to join in, Iraq sent in 14,000 troops. Lebanon fired missiles at Israel. And Jordan, despite actually warning Israel of the attack earlier, they tried to save face by sending troops into Syria as a show of support. So yeah, at that time, the Prime Minister of (laughs) Israel and the King of Jordan were actually on good terms. And so the King of uh, Jordan was like, hey, you know, I think our fellow Arab countries are going to attack you, just giving you a heads up. But he didn't want to look, you know, bad to the Arabs. So he's like, oh, we'll send troops into Syria.
2: Which doesn't really do anything to affect...
0: Right, Israel. Israel, and actually through the rest of the war, um, Israel and Jordan had kind of like a and like a unwritten agreement of we won't fight each other, we won't shoot at each other, and we won't take anything from each other. Hmm. So it was very interesting that they had that. If if Jordan had joined in the war, it probably, I'm sure it went a whole lot differently. So, well, Jordan is the that.
2: greatest of all time. So. <laughs>
0: 23? Wow. Undefeated, so.
2: Could have been, so you're saying if Jordan would have uh, entered the fight, it could have been the last dance for all oh uh, Israel. Yeah. Is anybody picking up on these bad puns here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, it's good that he
4: wasn't an Olympic event.
0: <laughs> yeah, i up on these puns. Yeah, who's the Isaiah
2: Thomas in this situation that's not getting invited? <laughs>
0: Uh, Libya? (laughs) (laughs) Saudi Arabia, they're in this thing yet? Nope, Saudi Arabia wasn't in on it either. They wanted to be, but they didn't. So, after the first day of the assault, Golda Meir spoke on the radio to the nation telling them of the attack. Defense Minister Diane, who had earlier in the morning had been so confident that no war would happen, was severely anxious and distraught he recommended to Mir that they surrender territory to the Egyptians, and he was also heard murmuring apocalyptic words about the end of the third Jewish commonwealth. Mir, Yeah, he kind of cracked a little bit. (laughs) Mir refused to let him speak over the radio, believing that he would bring fear and panic to the public. Mir was also stressed and anxious behind closed doors, and she second-guessed her decision to not strike first, wondering how Israel could survive this war. In public, Mir put on a brave face and showed strength for her people, even when Diane stressed to her that they should use nuclear weapons on Egypt and Syria. Thankfully, Mir rejected the idea to use nuclear warfare, and she also stayed in frequent contact with Henry Kissinger, hopeful that the United States would intervene and help them turn the tide of the war. It seemed that Israel would inevitably inevitably lose this war with a population of only three million. At time ta- at this time, hundreds of thousands were uh, hundreds of thousands hundreds were dying every day. Wow, hundreds of thousands. <laughs> yeah, hundreds, yeah. <laughs> hundreds were dying every day, and everyone knew someone that had died in the war. Despite the dire outlook, Mir frequently addressed the public. Reassuring them and galvanized them and the leadership of Israel into action. She had been pleading to the United States to rearm and resupply the struggling IDF, but the United States hesitated. This was done on purpose by Kissinger, who had his own diplomatic agenda. He said, quote, the best result would be if Israel came out a little ahead but bloodied in the process, and the US stayed clean.
3: Damn. Yeah wasn't so, he jewish
0: he, mm, i didn't look into that i might have to do that now. oh
2: never mind born in Ger. well it could be hold on a second could be born in germany let's see here doesn't matter i was just like curious no no
0: it's a good question uh he did this in the hope that israel could find a way to win the war alone without the ussr sending in aid to the arabs while also not alienating the arabs kissinger wanted to establish a peace plan that he made by himself, leaving all of the Arab states and Israel on the, on the side of the United States in the Cold War. So he was kind of... Hoping he is Jewish, he by could, the way. Okay. So he was kind of hoping to manipulate the situation to the United States' advantage, which kind of was naive on his part. Like, you really think you can get the fighting Arabs and the Jewish people to make peace and then fight... Against the USSR in the Cold War, like that doesn't make any sense to me.
2: That would have been the, the, the move of a lifetime, though. He would have been like a, yeah. a hero <laughs> throughout all of history.
0: Oh, yeah. He definitely would have been a legend. And there goes Juan again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Kissinger is still kind of a legend, right? I mean, I don't know a ton about him. He though.
0: is. He is, but it's not like not as much of a legend as he would have been if he had pulled that off. Like, oh, I'm going to make peace in the Middle East and then get everybody on our side in this Cold War.
2: <laughs> yeah. Anyone who pulls that move off or even half of that move off is getting yeah. like the Nobel Peace Prize for five years running. It's just like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, and Yeah. That's just like. a. And then the daunting. end time start. <laughs> now Anunnaki come back. And
2: then we're all screwed.
0: <laughs> I thought they were already here. Or is that the space lizards?
2: That's that's the that's the, the, uh, the reptilians or whatever. The reptilians.
0: Yeah. What if they both attack at the same time? What are you going to do then?
2: Uh, I'm going to write in the newspaper that all of our military is on vacation, and um, <laughs> then I'll probably uh, bomb all their airplanes or their spaceships. <laughs>
5: See, I'm paying attention.
0: (laughs) Using the new and improved US Space Force to do the damage? Of course. It's gonna be huge.
4: (laughs) And of course, now we've got those aliens on our side too, so.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. So the USSR began sending in aid to the Arabs, and that's when the United States decided to act. President Richard Nixon saw that Israel's back was against the wall and feared in an a last effort that... Man, Siri keeps popping up on my iPad. It's so annoying. I must be saying... You say something. Syria
2: or Siri? S-
0: Siri. <laughs> no, it keeps turning on. Like, what do you want to add? I don't want to ask you anything. Uh, so President Nixon saw that, you know, he, he, he was afraid that Israel would launch a nuclear attack out of, like, pure desperation. On October 9th, Nixon learned that Israel was preparing its nuclear weapons for use. Mir had ordered the preparations for the use of nuclear weapons to be done in a way that was easily detectable. She did this on purpose so Nixon would get the message and have more incentive to enter the conflict. It's pretty smart, man. That's pretty heavy handed, oh, yeah.
2: but yeah, it's, I mean, it's yeah. smart. Big bluff. I mean. Yeah. But, I mean, but what I mean, do you do if your whole country is about to get like enveloped? It, wiped like, out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a very tricky, tricky situation.
0: Yeah. So on October 12th, Nixon ordered a massive shipment of arms and supplies to be transported and flown into Israel. In response to this, the Arab nations threatened an oil embargo on any Western power that would try to help Israel. All of the European countries caved in to their demands, all of them except Portugal, The Portuguese allowed the Americans to land and refuel as a, you know, know, they land people to stop, the Americans to stop in Portugal as like a stopping point to refuel and rest before they flew on to Israel. Uh, American planes flew 500 flights 24 hours a day, sending 22,000 tons of weapons and supplies to the desperate Israelis. They flew in tanks, fighter jets, helicopters, small arms, everything they needed.
2: I wonder how much of like the kind of just the cuz I think probably even back then it was probably pretty obvious that the Israeli American ties were cuz they were the only capitalist mm-hmm. country in the nation in that little area yeah. uh, so there were, I wonder how much of this six countries versus one factor that that they always everyone was always baking into the cake like if we absolutely like be super aggressive with Israel America's probably going to step in and yeah. uh that wouldn't be fun for anyone. No. <laughs> or, or Americans would stop buying our oil or I don't know. Like, yeah. I, wonder, I just wonder if, because a couple of those stories, I'm like man, it just seems like if they just put all of their might into it, it seems like a no brainer that they would win unless they're right. hesitating for some reason or, or uh, I don't know. It just seems well, crazy to
0: me. To me, it's like a country. They had 3 million people at the time and they had a hundred thousand active mil- troops at that time. So then the Arabs bring 240,000. To me, I'm just like, to me, I would think like if, I mean, I don't, obviously I'm not in the military. I'm not a dictator. I'm not, you know, the king of an Arab country, but I'm the dictator of this podcast, but that's different. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. Juan, sugar, get, the right? nine... Juan, get the cat at nine... Juan, get the cat at... No, no, get the cat at nine tails and whip at him with it. I don't like what he's saying.
4: <laughs> you know I have one in here. You know I do.
0: <laughs> That's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun at times. <laughs> no, but like, I would, I would think at least as... Like, I would be like, hey, let's get 500,000 troops. We have way more people. Mm-hmm do whatever you have to do to just make the odds so overwhelmingly in your favor that you're just going to be able to do it within a couple of days.
2: That's why I'm wondering if like there wasn't something in the background, they're like, like if we do something that seems somewhat fair, there Mm -hmm. won't be this huge worldwide backlash or maybe, maybe it's just like, they were just like you said, like you said, if I'm in charge of any of those countries, I'm thinking the same thing you are. I'm like, Let's just absolutely make it clownishly overpowered. Yeah, uh, but that doesn't even always work. I mean, you could think no. three hundred. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean that's there's a precedence for it. It just it just seems so crazy when it actually happens. Or I maybe
4: mean, it was just yeah. the fear that the Americans would back them up because at the time, man, we had all the guns.
3: <laughs> yeah, and all I the mean, nukes we, too. We had
4: all the nukes. I mean, we were the only th- real threat to the USSR at that time. Like we had, you know, we had it. We were it. I think maybe the fear that, you know, eventually they would have to maybe combat us, you know, that nobody wanted to do it at that time, man. It was fucking the day of, you know, Wolverine. Fucking yeah. Mount up. <laughs> Wolverine! Exactly. I mean, and everyone was, just, you know, living through that era, man. I mean, that was it. You American pride and all that at the time was just that high. So it was like, yeah. We were, you know, Americans were like, yeah, you want to fuck with us? So I think maybe everybody felt like maybe if we got involved, it just might just change everything. So it might've just been all around fear and respect for the American forces.
0: Honestly. Yeah. It could have been a combination of both too. You're yeah. telling me
2: you've seen the movie Wolverine or red Dawn, Yeah. But you haven't seen Lawrence of
0: Arabia. Nope. And I've seen both versions of red Dawn, both the Patrick's Swayze one and the terrible, terrible remake. Dear God. <laughs> I like how you cringed at him. Yeah. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> You gotta
2: watch those classics, bro. You gotta watch those classics. <laughs> but
4: at the same I, I time, like classic like, movies—they've proved themselves by this point. These are some bad motherfuckers, man. The Israelis? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, and the the female. I thought you were talking about at first. Unprecedented. Like... <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I don't think uh, Hillary would have been that badass. So I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness!
4: Nobody would believe her. If she said her people were on vacation. They'd be like, "Damn, it's
0: actually."
2: <laughs> <laughs> I actually like look. I don't want really to get too super, too, super political, but she's one of the people that I would see actually pulling that move off. Like, like, oh, okay, yeah, we're gonna fake tip our hand. Like, we got nukes about to fly off, and we just like just risk it. And I think she would actually would do. Didn't she do something in that area too? Where is Benghazi?
0: Is that somewhere similar? Cause didn't she it do- was in Libya, I believe. It was in North Africa. Benghazi's yeah. in North Africa. No, yeah, I think she's, it's in Libya.
2: she has got some some stones of her own. Like, I don't yeah. give a whole oh, no, lot I of don't politician's a whole <laughs> <lot> of No, probably real. But oh, man. Okay.
3: So, on, the, the, so what you're telling me, what
2: about. you're telling me out of all this is the one time that a country gives a girl uh, the uh the presidency,
0: uh-huh. it
2: all falls to shit and almost nuclear apocalypse.
0: Well, It looked that way. It didn't. It 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 got really bad, but after America brought in all the aid, Israel pushed back both the Syrians and the Egyptians, and then crossed the Suez Canal and encircled the Egyptian Third Army, and then set their sights on attacking the Egyptian capital city of Cairo. They also pushed into Syria until they were only only 25 miles away from the Syrian capital of Damascus. At this point, the UN came in and demanded a ceasefire, but none of the countries involved trusted each other, and they refused to lay down arms and stop fighting. So at this point, the USSR announced that they were going to use their aircraft to defend both Cairo and Damascus should Israel attack them. Kissinger notified Mir that if the USSR entered the war, so would the United States. Yep. And at, and at this point, the USSR backed down and told the United States that they would leave the area and leave everybody alone if they would get Israel to go easy on Egypt and not embarrass President Sadat. On October 28th, the fighting officially stopped when Egypt and Israel entered peace talks. Yes. So, it almost got to the brink of starting a third world war
2: and all for what? I mean, what ended up like, what was the land? Was there any land exchange after this?
0: Israel, uh, Israel gave back the Sinai peninsula to Egypt, but they kept the Golan Heights. So the current map that Israel has now is roughly what it was after that war. So is there
2: there a lot of value in the Sinai peninsula? It's just desert.
0: It's just desert. Mostly there's, There's nothing out there. It's the
3: principle, man.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's like the desert there is beautiful and it's a fun place to hike, but there's no real value to it. It's not like there's, you know, tons of oil there or anything. I'm sure some places have some sort of natural resource, but it's not like there's just this vast, you know, valuable commodity there or anything.
4: Yeah, but a lot of times it's just about people stepping on your toes. Right. I, know, I mean, like here in America, you, you tell some dude he's got five acres and his neighbor takes half, then we're fighting words, bro.
0: Oh, dude! You here know, here in you, America, you put your you put your fence post, like three inches exactly. on your neighbors. People like lose their minds, go to court, sue each other, have feuds for years. Yeah, so it's probably something similar to that. Like you built this new fence and it's in three inches. Crazy. So Israel had, has been involved in more conflicts since 1948 and the ones, the Six Day War and the Yom Kippur War, but the Six Day War, the War of Independence and the Yom Kippur War were three of the most significant and most noteworthy, at least in my opinion. So yeah, that was a, uh, that was a glimpse into, you know, their military strategy and some of their military mistakes. You know, kind of becoming a little bit arrogant, resting on their laurels, thinking, hey, you know what? We beat them really bad six years ago. They aren't going to, you know, try that again. They definitely don't do that now. I'll tell you that.
2: Yeah, they got kind of like walls all over the place, right?
0: Yeah. And they're, I have never been in a place in my life where it's just soldiers everywhere. Like on duty, off duty. They're all over the place. It really
2: is a a shame you got to live like that. Um So I mean I think the whole point of this podcast is because Mark I thought you said that you had a solution to the the Middle Eastern unrest. What was that again?
0: Um, That was bring all of the Israeli women to America, particularly to South Texas, and then let everybody else fight over it.
2: (laughs) Well, he gave a solution, folks. You heard it here first. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like it
0: sounds like madness, but I'm also trying to get those aliens. <laughs> hey, Adam, that's what the uh, Anunnaki wanted us to do. That's what they told me. So, since last week, they've been in contact with me, and that's what they recommended. So weren't they, weren't they in that they area
2: said. too? Weren't that where they're from? Yeah.
0: They're not there anymore now, but that's where. That's they
4: what were. they want you to think. <laughs> they're just on vacation.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just a 4,000
0: year vacation. <laughs> Yeah. So in 1980, an Iraqi newspaper reported that the Iraqi government would soon have a nuclear bomb to neutralize Israel. Israel took this threat extremely seriously. And then the Mossad, which is like Israel's version of the CIA, they began to look into Iraq and what they were attempting to do. So Saddam Hussein had vast reserves of cash and oil, but not the scientific means to build his own nuclear reactor or nuclear weapons. So he went to who did he go to?
3: Give you three guesses. Not Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. Nope. Think, uh, douchebaggy. Oh, the Libyan guy. No, Muammar Gaddafi. Worse. Worse.
0: Okay, Uh, he went to the French government. (laughs) Oh damn! Oh damn! Shots
2: fired. (laughs) He went to the French government. You don't feel the same about French women as you do about Israeli women.
0: No, you don't don't give a damn about pissing them off. (laughs) He went to the French government and paid them to build a nuclear reactor, and then also purchased some fighter jets and other military equipment from them.
2: And they did it. Yep. They built a nuclear reactor in Iran and Iraq. Iraq. I'm sorry, Iraq.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, and Saddam there's no repercussions th- of that? Nope. Saddam and the French claimed that it was purely for civilian use. However, <laughs> a French civilian use? Is it convertible?
2: Yeah. <laughs> or, is it, or is that like the truth? Like, is there, I don't know anything about nuclear power plants or anything like that, but like, are there, is there ways of having like civilian use? Nuclear plants that can well, never be I mean, converted in any way.
0: And I believe what it was is they wanted to be, know how to build one so then they could take the technology and build their own bombs. Because when you first build, like New, uh, North Korea did the same thing, they were like, let's build a reactor and then we'll know how to build bombs. But on the other side
2: of it, like nuclear power is like super, super, super useful if used right. for good. Like, right. what if they did want to just use it for good? Like, they couldn't afford they don't have coal in the area like what are they going to do
0: yeah well the thing was was they had so much oil the the thought at the time was like they have so much oil and they have so much cash why do they need a nuclear reactor it's not like they had tens of millions of people in 12 metropolises that were without power you know what i'm saying yeah so it And also in the newspapers. You know, their newspapers there obviously or, You know, it's a dictatorship, so the newspapers just say what Saddam wants them to say. So, hey, you know what? We're soon gonna have a bomb to neutralize Israel because what does he want to do? Kill his, you know, enemy. And so, I'm gonna pick on Israel. I remember actually growing up, like watching on the news, and you know, back in the 80s, I remember seeing other things about Saddam wants to destroy Israel. You know, I remember that as a kid hearing things like that. So it wasn't like it ended after 1981 or 1980. So anyway, Saddam and the French claimed that it... Oh, well, yeah, I already read that. Okay, so but a French investigative reporter exposed that French politicians had received gifts, gifts quote, uh-huh. gifts of oil and cash. So like these rich French businessmen or rich French oil barons had oil companies. They all of a sudden were getting these gifts of cash and oil from Saddam, you know, getting paid off. So the prime minister is a pretty of Israel, bad thing
2: to get paid off for.
0: Yeah, the prime minister of Israel, Menachem Begin. His name is spelled Begin, but I know that's not how it's pronounced. But anyways, he ordered that they first try that the Israel that the Mossad first try to stop the reactor from being built by diplomatic means or espionage and that a plan for military strike should be used but only as a last resort. So during the construction of the reactor in Iraq, the Mossad discovered that the French were about to ship the core of the nuclear reactor to Iraq.
2: Where's America they during sent, all this? We're just like, uh, yeah,
4: just whatever. Back. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
0: By that time in the eighties, they're, they're just on coke. Reagan. <laughs> Reagan. <laughs> yeah. Reagan was the president at the time. Actually, yeah. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Uh, so the Mossad sent agents into France to destroy the warehouse that the core was being held in. They succeeded in damaging the reactor core by blowing it up partially, but it was able to be repaired. But this damage set back the construction for about six months. So that bought the, you know, the Israelis a little more time to f- figure out what they were going to do. So the Mossad also infiltrated the French Atomic Commission, where they discovered that a top Egyptian nuclear scientist was working on the project, but from Paris. The Mossad agents offered him bribes of sex, money, and power if he would let them know of the plans for the reactor, but he refused. So the Mossad decided to try a different tactic. They followed the Egyptian scientist back to an upscale hotel in Paris. They sent a prostitute up to his room to knock on the door, and when he answered the door, they slit his throat. Is that for real? For real. Damn. Jeez. So on the way out of the hotel, the prostitute was ran over by a black Mercedes. <laughs> it is believed that the Mossad agents were in the car, and they eliminated her to keep her from talking.
2: That is fucked up.
0: Yeah, that's so, dude,
2: like what's the prostitute got to do to get a break around he, What the hell? she <laughs> I mean, he did the, the d- fucking killed the guy for him. I mean, what? I'm assuming it was a female prostitute. I don't know why. That.
0: Yeah, it was a woman. Okay. She so, didn't get her
4: gifts of oil and cash, I guess. Got double-crossed
2: big time. <laughs> double-crossed big Dude, Hopefully time. her family got taken care of.
0: Yeah. So overall, it gets crazier. Overall, <laughs> during the construction project, a dozen scientists who were working on the project lost their lives. It is believed that the Mossad were responsible for their deaths. But the Mossad never acknowledged that they killed any of these scientists, and they never proved that the Mossad killed them. But it's super likely that they did. Hmm.
3: Yeah. Well, it's so,
0: unlikely
4: that that money would just die randomly.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That
2: could be seen as an act of war, too. I mean, obviously, they can't prove it. They can't prove it. but
0: Right. So, yeah. despite... These efforts, both the diplomatic and espionage attempts, failed to stop the building of the reactor. So an airstrike against the nuclear reactor was ordered on Sunday, June 7, 1981. A Sunday was chosen because most of the people working on the project would have the day off. Eight Israeli F-16 attack aircraft were loaded with almost twice the weight of ordnance and fuel that they were designed to carry. They stripped off everything of the jets that they didn't need. Countermeasures, missiles, you know, air-to-air missiles, everything. They had no way to defend themselves. They had no way to defend themselves from other missiles. They were just, like, bombs and fuel. That's all they had on there. They departed from a secret base in the Sinai Desert. And when they entered Jordanian airspace, they dropped to an altitude of 100 feet to remain undetected by radar. Whoa. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I would have loved to have been in the plane for that. Like screaming across the desert at a hundred feet above ground level sounds super exciting and super fun to me. Especially if it's in the hands of a trained pilot, and I'm just sitting there. I would love it, except for the part where you can't defend yourself and you're full of bombs. And you're like literally <laughs> a
2: second away from like one little like sneeze, and boom, you're in the ground.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would still do it. Um, so as the jets flew across the Gulf of Aquaba. They flew directly over a yacht, which belonged to the king of Jordan. He saw the jets fly over him and saw that they were Israeli jets and guessed they were probably going to attack the Iraqi reactor and called, you know, the capital of Jordan, Amman, and said, you know, you should alert the Iraqis. I saw uh, eight jets fly over. Because he was on vacation. (laughs) Yeah, he was on vacation. (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) so the israeli jets then flew into saudi arabian airspace this was even more challenging because the saudis had recently purchased radar equipped early warning aircraft from the united states and they were continuously operating and operating in the country and they also had to navigate more mountainous terrain but still remain at the same low altitude so what they would do is they had mapped out a course of flying through canyons and valleys. So they were flying at like 500 knots through these canyons and valleys in 100 feet trying to avoid radar. It sounds very
2: Star Wars-y. Yeah, kind of does. Trying to kill the, the Death Star and then like going through all these uh, canyons <laughs> and everything.
3: Yeah. I'm
4: really interested to hear how that Hopefully works out. Hopefully it,
2: it works out better than that. Uh, that... Flight that disappeared. What was that? Uh, Malaysian, Malaysian flight.
0: flight yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. That we covered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, finally, they made it through Saudi Arabia. Uh, it didn't... Uh, they didn't spot the Israeli jets. No, uh, f- up, Pops. <laughs> 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 they fucked up, Way to throw that out there. i staying his name.
2: Jeez. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Well, no, I mean, I'm not saying you know. I mean, personally, it just you know seems like it's kind of a lot of flight tickets, <laughs> not a lot of payout. Yeah.
2: Whenever I'm getting tired of my wife and kids, I have to go help the Saudi Arabians with their <laughs> good luck testing that fact
0: checking that. <laughs> yeah. I guess he really
4: enjoyed it over there. He liked it, so I don't know.
0: I like the Middle East. I don't know. Researching this made me want to go back. Um, so finally. The jets flew over the Iraqi border into the heart of Iraq, and the nuclear reactor was on the outskirts of Baghdad. Once the pilots crossed over the Euphrates River, they dropped to 50 feet above ground level and increased speed to 540 knots. Oh, What is that in like miles per hour for us dumbasses? It's still over 500 miles per hour. It's roughly, it's, it's not exactly the same, but it's probably like... 550 or 530 uh, miles per hour. I don't remember exactly which way the conversion goes, but it's similar.
2: Is wow. this what the song Bombs Over Baghdad by Outkast was written about? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Possibly. So, <laughs> Great the song. Isra- the Israeli pilots planned their attack to coincide with the change of shift in the evening. The crews of the surface-to-air missiles and the anti-aircraft weapons that were guarding the reactor were taking their dinner break and had left their weapons unmanned. So, for some unexplained reason, the Iraqi military had also turned off their radar at the nuclear reactor site. Hmm.
2: So when the Israeli turned them F-16s off, or maybe a spy turned it off.
0: Probably. So the F-16s turned their radar on, and began looking for opposing aircraft. They expected there to be Iraqi jets in the air coming to intercept them, but there were not any. The jets sped up to then 600 knots and pulled up to an altitude of 4,000 feet to begin their attack dive. The jets (laughs) then, when their dive, released their bombs. Of the 16 bombs that were dropped, all scored direct hits on the reactor dome, and only two of them failed to detonate, but the reactor was completely destroyed. By this time, the Israeli jets were under attack from the ground. So they scrambled and climbed up to 40,000 feet and began their flight back to Israel. Now, this flight took 90 minutes. And before the, uh, the, pi- the pilots took off, two of the pilots talked to each other. And one of them said, I know I'm going to die on this mission. And his wingman said, yeah, I know I'm going to die too. But they said, you know, we're doing this for, you know, our country. We have to protect our country. So they, they, he, like they, I saw an interview with the guy, and he said he was 100% sure he was going to get shot down that day. He said it was just too risky, too dangerous, because you have this whole 90-minute flight back. He's like, how are you going to get back without being shot down over enemy airspace? So, That's a
4: long-ass 90 minutes, man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Shockingly, no Iraqi aircraft were sent up to attack the jets, and the eight F-16s made it back to the desert you know, in Israel, completely How does safe? Saddam Hussein nah, stay nah, in nah, power nah, after nah. a
2: blunder that bad?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
2: Damn. Do you think it was just pure? Well, I think, do you think it was like pure just like ineptitude? <laughs> like they just had no idea. They didn't know their ass from their elbow. Like, so they're just like... What could you, it, what could, I mean, how, how do you have such a terrible... Like, how does a military collapse?
4: situation not have a failsafe where someone is off, someone immediately takes that spot?
0: I think it's, it's, it's just lack of, okay, here's, here's what I think. This is my opinion. I'm not an expert, but this is just what I think. Like in like America, Britain, Germany, a lot of like Western powers, everything is very structured, very focused. Training is very focused and intense. There's a plan for everything. Now, the Western armies, all, they have a strategy, though, of like, this is why we fight, and this is we, why we do the way, this is why the military set up the way it is. But it's not controlled by the president. The military is controlled and planned by the military. The army is planned and controlled by the army. The air force is planned and controlled by the air force. But in countries like Saudi Arabia or, uh, you know, other, uh, at Iraq. that point, Iraq, they were either dictatorships or absolute monarchies. So everything was left up to the control of one guy. So you basically have to do whatever that one guy says. So if he says the military is doing this, that's what the military does, even if that's the worst thing for them to do, even if he doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm -hmm.
4: Which is why they gave her shit for not (laughs) striking first or whatever.
0: Yet somehow
2: North Korea is still uh, in... uh...
0: Yeah. So you can can somehow
2: survive in these terrible situations just by scaring the shit out of people, I guess.
0: I think it's just by brute force and terror Mm -hmm. is why, you know, North Korea has stayed the way it is. So yeah, that was, uh, the embarrassment of Iraq and how Israel said, you know what? We're not going to tolerate any of our neighbors, uh, building bombs or nuclear reactors near us.
2: Yeah. I'm looking on the map. I just kind of see him with like, I'm mm -hmm. just trying to get a, a feel like as you're talking, like, What countries are in the area? How has Turkey stayed out of all of this?
0: Turkey has, while they're, you know, an Arab country, they've never really gotten involved. Hmm. I don't know the politics of that or why. Maybe they feel a little bit more further removed, but they're not that far away.
2: Yeah, I wonder
3: why that (laughs) is. They've
0: never never really gotten involved like all the countries that are closer like that.
2: By the way, Turkey is way bigger than I thought it was.
0: Yeah, Turkey's huge.
2: Not as big as fucking Kazakhstan. Not, I mean,
0: oh, yeah. What the hell? The <laughs> country is
2: gigantic.
0: Kazakhstan is huge. Yeah.
2: I don't ever hear anything about I'm oh, sorry, I'm just looking at the
0: map and I'm getting lost yeah. here. Well, maybe we'll do Kazakhstan. Yeah, we don't need to do that. <laughs> so, in 2007, the Mossad discovered that Syria had obtained the technology to build a nuclear reactor from North Korea. Oh, shit. Yep. With the help of the CIA, they looked into the suspected reactor site, and the CIA confirmed their suspicions. Uh-oh. Oh, my. Yep. So, Israel requested, made a request to President George W. Bush that he attack the reactor site, <coughs> but he re- declined the request for lack of adequate evidence. So what year was this? 2007. 2007 huh. So: do you he he think he's still like
2: the, a, kind of an egg on your face about Iraq going into Iraq with uh, assuming that, assuming probably. that there was ma- weapons of mass destruction,
0: mass destruction? Yeah, I'm sure that was probably a lo- lot to do with it. So the Mossad then sent in <coughs> commandos to covertly raid the suspected nuclear site, and they brought back nuclear material, material with them in the form of photographs and soil samples. While on the mission, the commandos were spotted by Syrian soldiers, but they were able to escape safely. While the United States, yeah, so what they did was they had like flown in, they they believe they flew in with like a helicopter or had like a vehicle, and then they drove into the reactor site and then walked in, broke into the facility, took like soil samples and water samples to test for nuclear material and radiation, and then Were noticed by guards and then took off, got in their truck, ran away, got in the helicopter, and flew back to Israel. Huh. Yeah.
2: And they were filming this whole thing? Or there's pictures? There's still pictures. This is 2006. Why weren't they filming all this? Because what's to keep them from going, like saying they went there and uh, saying, oh, there's the dirt? uh, I mean, it's not like we have nuclear power. There's no way we could fake nuclear, uh, like enriched dirt. Dirt. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of odd. So, what would the reason of is, lying about this be? Be pointless.
0: Yeah. Yeah, pretty pointless. So Unless they own uh, the Golan <laughs> Heights. Or what's the word what that's called? <laughs> the Golan Heights, yeah. <laughs> so while the United States chose not to attack it themselves, they secretly approved of Israel making an attack as long it was done as long as it was done covertly. So the Israeli Air Force sent ten F-15 fighter jets armed with laser guided bombs and escorted by F-16s. While en route, three of the F-15s were ordered back to the base. That left seven to go and bomb the reactor. On the way, the aircraft also destroyed a Syrian radar installation and it was it is reported that Israel used fake electronic or sorry, used electronic warfare to take over the Syrian air defenses in the area and feed them a false sky picture for the entire duration of the attack.
2: Damn. Well, that's pretty dope.
0: Yeah. Again, like, how
2: is is, uh, such a tiny country throwing around so much weight in that area?
0: We'll get into that here at the end. I did cover that. So, Israeli Shaldag commandos Had been sent in on the ground to direct the targeting laser onto the reactor site. The F 15s approached their target, released their bombs, and completely destroyed the facility. Immediately following the attack, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert called Turkish Prime Minister, I can't even say his name, I'm not going to try it, and explained the situation. And he asked him to relay a message to Syrian President Bashar al Assad. That Israel would not tolerate another nuclear plant, but that no further action was planned. Omert said that Israel did not want to play up the incident and was still interested in peace with Syria, adding that if Assad chose not to draw attention to the innocent incident, he would do the same. Hmm. So basically, they were like, you try and build another one. We're just going to come blow it up again. And we don't want a war. We're just not going to let you build a nuclear reactor. That's some gangster shit yeah (laughs) like i said balls of steel (laughs) yeah i mean so that's wild it's yeah
3: (laughs) so is there any kind of UN
2: law against building a nuclear reactor just out of curiosity i mean because i know it's a big deal all these countries that try to do it is so there's like what france has it england has it germany has it india has it we have it yeah china has it
0: i think has it yeah. Who gets
2: to decide who, has, who can have it and who can't have it?
0: I know that there's been like the denuclearization talks and, y- you know, they've been trying to do that for a while and that supposedly America and Russia have gotten rid of some of their nuclear arsenal. I kind of think Russia hasn't. I would not expect Putin or the Russians to get rid of any bombs. So... I mean, I'm not for nuclear uh, pro-
2: proliferation by any stretch. By, in fact, I think, you know... Oh, yeah. No. I don't know. If we can talk about i don't know if we've already talked about the, eth- the no how uh, smart it was for america to drop it but like yeah. pakistan and india they both have it and they're like like enemies and they haven't dropped any right now yeah. so who are we to tell like syria iraq all these other countries that have right. it that they can't have it
0: no, I, I do think that you have a fair point there. Like, who are we to go tell the world who can have a weapon and who can't have a weapon? I think it's more of from the perspective of the American government, like we don't want an Arab country, which, you know, is largely considered like a hostile country or like North Korea to have one because then we feel more threatened. That's what I would think. Hmm. You know, kind of kind of like this, you know, kind of like, well, we can have it because we're trying to protect everyone, but you can't because you're just going to use it. When at the same time, us, every time we try and flex our muscle, that makes the smaller countries feel, you know, violated or threatened. So they want to feel like they can protect themselves. Like Juan and I went over that in the North Korea episode, how Kim Jong Il was like, oh, yeah, he goes, I know if we ever attack, you know, South Korea and the United States is just going to turn, you know, North Korea into glass. He said but this is the only way to get them to pay attention to us.
2: Yeah. I mean there's got to be there's got to be some some truth to that. Or else South, uh, North Korea wouldn't be in existence right now.
4: I know right. a guy that I used to work with and this is no bullshit. His son at 19 years old created nuclear fusion in his basement in Ferndale which is like a half an hour from here in mm-hmm. the Detroit area. Yeah. And like it was a huge thing. Is that what deal, happened like, to downtown Detroit? All, <laughs> uh, I don't know, this explains but, it all. Like he, they they ended up investigating it, and he, it was true. He really did, and it was one person. Yeah. So it's scary to think. You know, they always talk about like it takes all these groups of scientists, all these years, and all this resources to create nuclear fusion when a kid did it here at 19 and well, his dad's. Yeah, basement. well, I
2: think that people probably could do it in Syria, Iraq, stuff like that, but they can't do it on the scale that's uh, where you can right. like actually right. provide power for whole cities and stuff like that. And whenever they do try to make it to that scale, they're like... But
4: at this point, it just seems that it would be apparent that the level of technology and understanding is like, they could crack this stuff off anywhere at this point. What
2: I want to know is who's holding back the Anunnaki cold fusion power. Next source. Let's get to the truth, folks.
4: I I watched a David
2: Icke video the other day that clearly explained... That uh, <laughs> there's no need for uh, oil or nuclear power ever again.
0: Or 5G towers.
2: Well, yeah, well, 5G, that's just a straight up Corona machine. <laughs> we should do an episode where we just deep dive on all the terrible conspiracy theories out there.
0: I'm down. I'll put that on That'd the list.
2: That'd be fun. That'd be fun yeah, that to would research. Be so much fun. Uh, what's to be yeah. interesting is like so all these videos, I mean, they only exist. Because they just sound like just the the little bit of grain of possibility and then right. or, except if it was like super crazy, nobody would even pay attention. I mean some people would, but right. not very many. But so it's always interesting to see um how crazy could it be. And like
4: Well a lot of like, it you can't see like all the people living on the other side of the moon.
0: Yeah, there's the dark side. <laughs> yes. Yeah. i was gonna say like that whole plandemic movie that blew up this last i don't know anything about that i never
2: looked into it i i know people made facebook posts about it a lot but i have no idea what it is i
0: watched out of curiosity i watched like the first two minutes of it and you can tell it's so conspiracy theory like just the title plandemic like everything is just like every every time they make a statement you have a logical question that doesn't get answered like Oh, this lady is a leading researcher. Okay, who said she's a leading researcher? From where? They <laughs> say she's so smart. Who's they? Who's Wait, are this? they asserting
2: ex- that this was planned? Yeah. Oh, I might, I might have to go oh, watch yeah. that. So this is like, uh, what was the name? Um, it's another wackadoodle video. What was video? that one that was huge? It's still on Netflix. Oh, Netflix? Yeah. What, pandemic? No, it's like, what's the word? It's not lexicon or it's like some word like that. Oh. Oh, it will come to
3: me, damn it. Yeah, no worries. Adam had the Israeli
0: soldiers on his mind, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> well, he didn't deny it, so it's true. So, uh, publicly, Israel did not comment about the attack on the Syrian reactor, along with the United States. And they said nothing, nobody, neither country said anything about it for seven months. So, after the destruction of the facility, the Mossad learned that Syrian that General Mohammed's Suleiman. Zeitgeist is
2: the movie Zeitgeist.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. I have not seen Oh, that. It's, a, it's a big I've conspira- heard of it. There's
2: like a couple of them. They're like really long too.
0: I've, I've heard of it, but I have. I've heard about it, but I've never seen it. Um, Dan Cummins talks yeah. about that several times in the secret That's what side. was
2: annoying me about it. I was like, I know I've heard him talk about it before and it just couldn't come to me. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting.
0: No, no worries. Um, Suleiman, who said this Syrian General Suleiman had ordered the construction of another nuclear reactor. The Israelis decided that as long as Suleiman was alive, the Syrians would attempt to build nuclear weapons to use against Israel. So in the summer of 2008, the Mossad learned that Suleiman was going to spend some time at his villa in Tartarus, a coastal city in Syria.
2: On vacation. Mm-hmm. Yep. When have we heard this before?
0: Isra- <laughs> Israel sent in their special forces called the Qadan. Well, it's believed they sent in their special forces called the Qadan. Uh, they are known for assassinations and for being able to slip in and out unnoticed. It is believed that the Kadan studied the villa and learned the easiest way was to strike from the sea and because that there, that there, there is a balcony that overlooks the water. It is believed that Kadan agents came in by boat and then used scuba gear to get onto shore and then they shot Suleiman twice in the head with silenced <laughs> weapons. Yeah. Once in the neck. And once this is the, the guy
2: who was trying to bring uh, N-
0: nuclear weapons to Syria. And what was his position? So he was a general in the military.
2: Why does this sound so familiar? Was...
0: Well, it happened in 2008, so it wasn't that long ago in the big scheme yeah. of things. So Israel has never confirmed that they assassinated Suleiman, but they did say <laughs> that the death of Suleiman was, quote, a happy accident. Dear God.
4: Yeah. I've had a lot of accidents and none of them were happy. None of them involved two
2: pieces of lead going shooting through my head.
3: Yeah. God,
4: a neck shot too? Like,
0: damn.
3: Yeah.
4: That's a that's a double tap for sure. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> meant
3: that. Yeah. So so are these people like, you was, just
2: universally evil? Like, the the whole world is just like, cool with, like, generals I getting assassinated? I think it's one of those
0: situations. So, like, so what happened in the instance and in the instance with Iraq, uh, there was the United United Nations, you know, proposed that trade embargoes and sanctions be put against Mm -hmm. Israel, and they all got voted on, but they never enforced them. So, they put on a good show of, we're going to punish Israel, but they never followed through on it. Hmm.
2: So, he must have been pretty universally hated. Yeah,
0: yeah. He, did. Yeah, he it would have been. They they didn't like this guy. They didn't trust the guy. They didn't want him. And then you know what was it? Three years later, two or three years later, the whole Syrian civil war started, and now it's just been chaos for almost. Who a was decade. that general
2: that just got assassinated last year?
0: Uh, Iranian. Iranian. He was a, an Iranian general. Yeah.
2: Another big ass country.
0: Oh yeah. So now we're gonna shift into. Uh, The five reasons why Israel has been successful with uh, their military and espionage, just to wrap things up. And this actually is pretty interesting. So you had asked earlier, Adam, why, how and why, you know, can they survive like this? Well, number one, it's because of homegrown technology and equipment. Israel is a leader in technology, mostly out of sheer necessity. They have established many startups over the years that have eventually gotten government contracts, researching and developing the newest and best intelligence and military technologies such as surveillance and spy equipment and electronic warfare. They also have their home-built military equipment. Israel has a world-class defense industry. Many other countries will purchase the military equipment from larger countries like Russia, China, and the United States. There are two reasons Israel has developed their own fighting vehicles. First, after the Six-Day six War, the British and the French canceled contracts for a joint development of a tank and delivery of missile boats and fighter jets. So, you know, they were pissed that Israel started mm-hmm. that war. So Israel learned that they would be better off making their own equipment. And then secondly, you can't have a secret weapon when everybody knows what you bought. True. So Israel has developed their own main battle tank, the Merkava, which is arguably the best and toughest tank on the planet. They also built a secret weapon called the para-tank hunter. For decades, almost nothing was known about it. At first, it was thought to be just another tank. It looked very similar to the Merkava tank, but after it was declassified in 2015, it was discovered that it was not a tank, but a tank hunter with a dummy cannon on the front armed with 16 fire and forget missiles. Most oh sorry. Most main battle tanks have a range of three to four kilometers. The range of the missiles on the para is thirty kilometers. So oh it can e- yeah. You're so fucked. It- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're firing for forget missiles, <laughs> so all they have to do is like catch target, launch, and then it can move and go. So what are like what? Is, I've, so, I don't know,
2: again, I don't know, but what is Israel's natural resources? How do they have like how are they such a wealthy nation that they can afford to develop all this uh, technology? Well,
0: natural resources wise, I don't know. I didn't look into that. I do know that their defense budget every year, I believe, is twenty two billion, and twenty billion of that is their own funds, and they get $2 billion every year from the United States.
2: How can they afford that? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, every country's got to be producing something to make money. Like-
0: right. Well, okay. Actually, I just, I just remembered. Because after talking with a guy in Israel, what they will do is their companies make money and export technology. They have a leading tech industry. So some of the stuff that they don't keep secret, they will sell. hmm Not so going to have, have any kind very, of spyware very on
2: very it or anything. Technology.
0: No, I'm sure. I'm sure it will. <laughs> so that a uh, that tank hunter can destroy tanks while staying well out of range, and it is reported that it can also shoot down helicopters.
2: And Does America have an equivalent?
0: <laughs> uh, they have. They have a similar like tank hunter type of thing. But the difference between America's is that it doesn't look like a tank. It just looks like a missile launch, a mobile missile launcher. And the reason that they built it to disguise it to look like a tank was because they knew if they got into a war, that if they just had it going out looking like a missile launcher, it would be the first target that the enemy would try to destroy. So they thought, we'll disguise it like our main battle tank because the missile launch, the missiles come out of the body when it goes to fire. So, I mean, think about it. You have 16 shots to destroy 16 different things and then retreat from one vehicle. That's an insane amount of firepower.
4: And with pinpoint accuracy on every shot. Right.
0: right. So, like, you could take on a, basically, like, a decent amount of tanks by yourself. And then, you know, you also have the other tanks to back you up, too. But they're, like, you know, 20, 30 kilometers out. So before you ever see them, you're just like, ah, oh, we'll just wipe them out. It's, it's nuts. So Israel also developed the Iron Dome automatic missile and rocket interception system, and that was the whole reason I was not worried for a second being in Israel. Like you know, people were like, "Oh, you don't want to go there? What if there's a rocket attack or a missile attack?" I was like, the Iron Dome system. Like I've seen videos of it online of it working. Like not even worried about it. Damn, what number was that? Be kind of nerve wracking. That was number one. How is
2: nuclear weapons not number one?
0: don't know so number two they value their military personnel with such a low population Israel understands that a war with a high rate of casualties would greatly diminish their effectiveness this way of thinking has led them to prioritize safety when they develop their equipment when they were designing the Merkava tank they put the engine in the front of the tank and the crew in the back On most other tanks in the world, the engine is in the back to protect it so the tank can keep on operating, sacrificing the safety of the crew. Israel would rather lose the tank and keep the crew than sacrifice them. They also undergo the most extreme training, which includes live bullets, and they also are trained in Krav Maga, which was also developed in Israel, which is a mixed martial art with the intention of ending a fight within three moves.
2: How many of those moves are pull the trigger?
4: <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> That's old Bam logic. You're like, I got, th- I got three punches in me. One of them's going to kill you.
0: <laughs> yeah. And actually, it's pretty cool. Like, I've looked up some Krav Maga videos on YouTube. It's really fascinating to watch these guys, like, you know, they're like teaching it. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like, three moves. It's really cool. Hmm. So, number three is internal cohesion. Since Israel is all alone in a region hostile to them, its citizens understand that if they don't work and fight together, they will cease to exist. Military service is mandatory for all citizens, but there are a few exceptions. Palestinians and the ultra-Orthodox Jews are not required to fight, or I should say be in the military. Men are required to serve 2 years and 8 months and women are required to serve 2 years except for Gal Gadot cuz now she's, you know, Wonder Woman.
2: Yep, she's serving the whole world right now.
0: Exactly. So she had to sign a longer. Did
2: contract. she ser- I'm sure she did serve in the military at one point, right?
0: She did, yeah. God. Yeah, she
2: did. <laughs> yep. Not a, like that would Can you imagine like Oh my god, never mind.
3: Adam doesn't even have yeah. words. Like, I, 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 <laughs> well you better
4: not fuck you better not fuck up, she'll kill you in three moves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no means no, motherfucker. <laughs> I'll
2: tell you what, she's definitely never getting Harvey Weinstein because she'll put that like, motherfucker on his ass. <laughs> oh, no oh, yeah. Her.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe
2: they maybe ever do you think that never mind, sorry. Like do you think that yeah, mind, sorry, finish, uh, like no, think that, like, a, we like America should have some kind of an equivalent? Like, I feel like that. I, feel I like actually countries that do that. I mean, it sucks. I mean, it's not very "quote unquote" yeah. American, uh, but right. Uh, How are we gonna find skinny jeans, yeah, man? But I feel like all these. <laughs> there's several countries that do this, <laughs> and I. If, I think it might be instills like more country pride, like pride, work ethic, yeah, national pride, like, uh, right? Just like being able to have, work on have a like a schedule. Like, it's all these things that whenever you're yeah. young and you're impressionable, I mean, definitely, I mean, you don't want to encourage violence. I mean, that's never a fun thing. But, like, I think that, and I, I, I've i talked about, I don't know if I've talked to you about this before, but, like, there should be an option to where you can either serve two years in the military or two years in some kind of a, like, uh Greenpeace or something that's uh, that helps either clean uh, or beautify america or some kind of charity something bigger yeah, something than, bigger than yourself. yourself and then you get free college and that's how you pay for that's that's yeah. the incentive
0: i think yeah i think that's actually a really good idea I, I used to like i'll be honest i used to years ago i used to think that the idea of mandatory military service was like super authoritarian i thought it was a terrible idea But over the last few years, I started to realize that that would be a really good idea. And the first guy I met in Israel, um, I asked him about it. I said, you know, obviously you served in the military. I said, you know, what was your experience like? What do you think about it? And I said, do you think it was a benefit for you? Or do you think your life would have been better off if you hadn't done it? And immediately, without hesitation, he said, being in the military changed my life. It gave me a great education. He said it got me into the technology industry. And he said I never would have been able to get into it if I hadn't gone through the military. And now he owns his own business. He was like, he said, I would recommend it to any country out there. He said, You know, you sacrifice two years of your life, but he said you get so much more back in return.
4: I would feel a lot better if all of our politicians had served in the military. That's for damn sure. Oh, I'll co sign that. I mean, I'll, <laughs> yep. that's
2: definitely a definite factor, especially if you're going to be like, at the presidential level to where you have your
4: I'm coming you have the finger on, and the, served. on the button,
2: as it were, yeah. as it were. I think that's yeah. that's not valued as much as it should be. But then again, I guess you could see some people who are more likely to take military action if they've actually been in that situation. I guess that's the only, what's, what is yeah. the argument against that, that rule?
0: I, I think that's probably the only argument, but I don't think, I think that, probably largely comes down to, like, a personal thing for the individual. Because, like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that being in the military makes you a violent person. I know several people who served in the military, and none of them are violent mm-hmm. people. Now, do I, there are people that, who have PTSD and problems like that. That makes them violent. I don't think that's the fault of the military or serving in the military. That's from being in crazy, chaotic situations that have a negative impact on mm-hmm. their lives. And I'm not saying that they should have jobs to see... In the military.
2: They shouldn't have to see... Combat. I'm not saying that, but like,
0: right. There's so so many jobs jobs. that
4: are not combat related. Right. My dad never was in combat and served in the military for almost 30 years. I bet you would cut down
2: on the corruption factor a little bit. Definitely wouldn't get rid of all of it, but it would cut it down a little bit.
0: I think it would also, like you said before, it would help with giving people a stronger work Mm -hmm. ethic. You know, just in general, if you go through that, like obviously there's still going to be people that aren't going to work as hard, but. You're more likely to develop better self care habits or better work habits if you go through the military. For Plus, but of course,
4: the American have side is, saddle- is that, though, we want to be able to do that by our own choice. Yeah, you
2: don't so. have to sadder yourself yeah. with, well, you can do that now. You can get free college if you go to the military, but like you wouldn't sadder yourself with crazy college debt either.
3: Right.
0: Yeah. I think there's a ton, I think there's more pros than cons there would be for a mandatory military service. I really
2: do. Yeah, other than the potential.
0: Death. 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 <laughs> well, I mean, because, yeah. But I mean, in, at least for me, like, everything in life revol- involves a certain amount of risk. And a lot of people don't want to be honest about that, that. Like, every time you step in your car, you're taking a risk. You're just used to taking that risk. That's the only That's difference.
2: why I say it should be, you can either be, do military or, like, some big, like, public works. or. Uh,
0: Yes, we know, Adam. The other thing is worship the... An- Anunnaki,
2: <laughs> yes. We need to build the statues. I've been saying this for years. And a nice pair of Birkins. Uh, yeah, they, <laughs> Look, they had watches before all of us had watches. You've seen the, the, the hieroglyphs. Explain that to me, people. Uh,
4: that's what time it is.
2: <laughs> oh, if we ever do a conspiracy so I- episode, I'm 100% bringing it hard in the paint for the for the
0: <laughs> we'll do that I'm putting that on the list that we're definitely doing that and for the record <laughs> I don't really believe in the it's
2: just a fun thing
0: oh sure sure backpedal yeah. now Adam backpedal now <laughs> so you actually you took I- an oath man <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Uh, So I found a quote from an Israeli man who served in the IDF because I wanted to get, you know, some perspective on what they think. So this guy said, as a 50-year-old Israeli who served for over 20 years in the IDF and the reserves, I can say that Israel is not fighting for some vague foreign interest. It fights for its very existence. It's as simple as that. Losing a war means the end of the state, or sorry, means the end of the state of Israel, or at least the Jewish state. Two thousand years with no land or ability to protect against brutal violence were enough. Hmm. So, I thought that was a pretty interesting quote that he said. Uh, number four: Why Israel has been so successful? Uh, fast decision making. Israel's military has been set up similarly to many other Western militaries. The armed forces follow a large overall plan, but individual units have the ability to make decisions based upon their unique current situation, giving them quicker response times. Many of the Arab states that have fought with Israel were either dictatorships or absolute monarchies. There's Adam's favorite word again, Mm -hmm. monarchy. Uh, This slows down the response times and military movements because one individual is control of absolutely everything. An excellent example of this is Hitler's response to D-Day. He didn't believe it was real, and the army had to wait for him to approve the sending of reinforcements, and by then, it was too late.
4: Or like a more down-to-earth one would be when you get in line and they gave that cashier the authority to just make some decisions and get you on yeah. your way. That's wha- great. When they don't have to call the fucking manager for every little yeah. thing, and right. it just moves along. Is it
2: along. Aldi's or something? Right. There is some, there is some like, uh, grocery store that Stores does that. Some companies that do that and it's yeah. like that's what and they consistently have the highest customer satisfaction ratings.
3: Yep. Yeah, and it's just true. don't hire and idiots and you'll be fine.
0: Exactly. Uh it was a study was done all over the world and it showed that Israel is the least hierarchical hierarch <laughs> damn it. Hierarch what well, you know what I'm saying?
5: <laughs> I couldn't hierarch say it either. Like, I tried
0: country on earth. And the people are more willing to work together. And even at big corporations in Israel, everyone works more equally together. Is not this sense of, oh, he's the CEO. Like a low level employee will go consult with the CEO about his project. And that's just the way it is in That's Israel. a
2: culture thing.
0: Yeah, that's a culture hmm. thing. It's
2: a good thing to have.
0: It's a very good thing to have. Yeah. So not uh, less five, shooters at work. Right. Uh, number five, the reasons why Israel is so effective and so successful. Uh, they have the hottest female soldiers, and that distracts I knew that was anime.
2: coming somewhere. I, know, I knew this <laughs> was going to get brought up again. And uh,
4: Oh, I'm sure for Mark, it can a lot of times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Number five is combat morale. Well, okay. that probably helps. <laughs> Are you going to say you're kidding again? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. So, uh, Arab armies have tend to have lower morale, especially when they are losing. Consider that in both, sheesh, consider that in both the wars we covered, that the Arabs vastly outnumbered the Israelis, but they wound up retreating and losing. This was largely because of panic, poor leadership, and also because Arab countries have too many varying ethnic and religious identities. If you're in the army for a paycheck but the leaders of your country have you know a different religious or ethnic identity when it comes to the choice between your life or your paycheck which are you going to choose more than likely you're going to choose your life often the, that is the case you know when a soldier is in battle and you know vast groups of soldiers and they're like hey you know what i don't want to fight for this guy i don't even believe or think the same way he does so they just turn around and leave or they surrender Kind of like my so, friend was in
4: Desert Storm. and Like, they were out there. They never shot anyone because people were they were just giving up in droves. Yeah. They were just doing more, like, you know, lining people up to get them, you know, out of there.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, while, while they're winning, their set is winning, they're all on board because it feels great. And, hey, we're winning. We're kicking butt. And then, you know, once the losses start to pile up, they become very fickle because, like, man, you know, nobody, like, nobody wants to lose a war. That's always been an issue in war is keeping morale high. And when you're fighting alongside co-ed units of these just smoking hot women that look like Gal Gadot, you're going to feel more inspired to fight. You're going to be like, hey, baby, I'll fight look, for I'm you. Look,
2: not, I'm not going to lie. I'm doing a little research right now. Uh, you're 100% yeah. on to something here. <laughs> okay, dude. It's almost like, okay, is this some not some kind even of propaganda kidding. thing going on? It, I, guess okay. if, I guess if That's everyone what, has to serve. He's been there, though, man. He's literally serve, been there.
0: There's going to be a lot of so hot weird. people. so if everyone has right. to serve. So when I went, to, I went to Israel, I went to Tel Aviv first, which is like the New York City of Israel. And so there's like, you know, everyone's dressed nice. Everyone's trying to look as attractive as possible. It, you know, I expected that. It's a big, bustling metropolis. So then I went to the desert city of Beersheba. I get there and I'm thinking, okay, this is where the more homely people are. You're more average farmers and, poor, you know, poorer people and stuff like that. So I get to this bus station there. This is huge bus station. And th- I'm not even kidding. It was on a Sunday. So everyone is getting off, getting on off the trains and onto the buses to go back to the prisons or the military bases where they work at. And there are hundreds, hundreds of young men and women that are just smoking hot. I was like, okay, this is a bit ridiculous. Like, explains why you I like it so much. It's all, com- com- all making sense. It's insane. Like on the bus that I took south to a couple hours south to the next town I was going to, it was 80% soldiers or prison like guards or prison employees.
2: It was like me and a couple. How is there not a TV show about this? I don't know. Time to start pitching it's stricken- it. It's
3: freaking. This is
4: Netflix gold. Probably because they're more concerned about the actual reality wrong. of what they wrong, do. Wrong, wrong, Rather than how they, <laughs> <thought>. <laughs> they haven't thought of it yet. We're just shitty <laughs> we Americans, and so that's how we focus on
2: <laughs> No, come on. It's the world. Goodness gracious. Yeah,
0: so, yeah, that, yeah, I mean, it. it it's bonkers. That's just all I was going to say. They, I mean. You know, if you do believe what the Bible says, and they are the chosen people, they are the chosen people. (laughs) If you know what I
3: mean.
2: (laughs) Let's see here.
5: That just seems so
4: unprofessional after this part. (laughs) 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 When you really cut down to the bottom of it all. the hottest army on earth. <laughs> like, That's why they win. It's
0: like you go to shoot and you're like, no, nah, I can't do it. Yeah, not, not her. Nope. Man, he's even attractive. That?
2: Nope. <laughs> so what? We, uh, so we know the reason why they're successful. Uh, but what would yeah. you do? Like, so obviously this is not sustainable for the rest of time. Like, what what would you do? Right. Uh, what would be your best guess solution? Bring all Oh the my Israeli God. Now you're just tex- going to avoid it with this joke. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then they get into that Tex Max and blow up. <laughs> 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 Gravy? <laughs> I'm even missing this shit. Oh,
2: that actually, that's oh a decent God. point. Is it there, what's their diet like? If they're all in shape, that probably makes them a better
0: army um their yeah well their diet is a heck of a lot healthier than our diet you know the the food they eat there is like the typical middle eastern you know arab slash is jewish food it's not a lot of like i mean they have falafel which is fried but you know lots of salads lots of vegetables light on the carbs they don't eat a ton of carbs you know they have pita bread and stuff but it's not like most of them probably follow
4: levitical law too right
0: well, if they're, if not, um, actually, it's mostly a lot of the ultra Orthodox Jews do, but outside of Jerusalem, I mean, there's some ultra Orthodox Jews, but most of the Jewish people in Israel are pretty Westernized.
4: Are the Orthodox Jews, is that more of like family, like passed down, or is it like a choice? Because you're saying they were kind of exempt from the military. Yeah. So it's, what is the trade off? Kind
0: of, it's kind of both. A lot of them, like, they, it is kind of like a family thing. You were raised in that family. But then, you know, occasionally someone will, you know, convert to the more, you know, it's kind of like the Amish people, although you don't hear of too many people going and living with the Amish people. Ooh. You know what I mean?
2: Like, if you were, like, if you were like 18 or nightclub. 20 during the Vietnam era, yeah. could you just be like, uh, no, I'm not down with this. I want to go be, uh, I'm going to go be Amish. Would that be a way of, like, uh, draft dodging?
0: That's a really good question. But interestingly enough, I met a guy in uh, Tel Aviv who was from Brooklyn in New York and when he he said when he was in his 20s, he went to Israel to work on a kibbutz and is kibbutz that a is like or a
2: something like that? Uh, it's uh, a farm.
0: It's a it's like a kind of like a communist farm but not communist. It's that same idea of like a collective group of people working to produce for the sake of the group. mm
5: mm-hmm. Mhm. But mm-hmm.
0: But you know, I we passed by a few of the kibbutzes, and it was pretty interesting to see. But you know, he said he went there and worked on those for a couple of years, and he said he loved them so much, he was like, I got to come back. So he emigrated to Israel and then started Israel's first micro. You know bird. what I'd be interested to see or hear? Are you serious? Yeah, I'm
2: 100% serious. What do you think? Wow, be, uh, so America gets bagged on nonstop. For our immigration policy being uh, unfair, inhumane, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Well, da, da, da. when you look at it in the broad yeah. thing, like, America has one of the most lax immigration policies of, like, westernized countries. What would be the... I'd be curious yeah. to see what the immigration policy would be into going to Israel, and if anyone's welcome, or if there's some kind of uh, very if, strict if rules.
0: If you are... I've looked into it, because I was curious. Uh If you (laughs) like, you're too ugly to join our group. (laughs) They're not fucking up our genetics.
2: Military (laughs) states.
0: Eat dicks, one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they wouldn't want my ass either. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, if you are any part Jewish, uh, you can. They will fly you to Israel for free. Like, this state will bring you there for like two weeks or something. So you can experience it before... It, it's I don't know if it's before a certain age or not. I think it's before a certain age. And then you have an open invitation to emigrate there if you want to. Is it and only ethnic
2: or is it ethnic or religious?
0: Ethnic. Hmm. It's ethnic. So if you're ethnically a Jew, they will be like, hey, come bring you over there, give you a tour, you know, kind of give you exposure of what it's like. And then you know, if you want to stay, you can stay or emigrate later. You can. And then if you are like, say, if I wanted to, or you or I wanted to, uh, if you can find a job there and if you speak Hebrew, you can emigrate there. The thing they want is people who are, you know, hard workers. If you're a hard worker and you're a good quality worker, because they will look, this is Israel. They are all about profiling. They will look into your profile. They will check into you. And if you're a hard worker and you're willing to learn Hebrew before you go, they will hire you, and then you can immigrate, and they will keep you. They will do everything they can to keep you because if you're an asset to them, they will. You can go over there, but you have to have a marketable skill and be a hard worker. Something that you know can benefit them, and you have to know Hebrew. Even though pretty much everybody there speaks English, they still See, want you to. Know I, that's
2: what. I, that's what I don't understand. It's like how does a country like that get like get off complete, with a complete pass when it comes to like immigration policy? And, the, uh, and I'm sure that's not uncommon. There's probably lots of countries that have similar strict immigration policies. And like, we get hammered for having... Like, we're not letting people in fast enough. And with, 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 I don't right. even know what our immigration policies are, but it's definitely not... You have to speak English. I mean, that's definitely not a factor. Right.
0: But, no. But I know my sisters can't immigrate here from Ethiopia, and we've been trying that for years. My dad's been trying that for years. But it's kind of a shame because I thought it's probably when I was looking into it, I thought it's probably be it would probably be easier for me to emigrate to Israel than it's to get my sisters. You know, it probably just will take a couple of years, but just because of the legal process. But I did think about it. <laughs> I was it, after being there, I was like, you know what? It's a beautiful place. The people are amazing. You know, you there's so much history. There's tons of places to explore. It's got you know, it's got the desert. It's got the mountains. In the winter, you can go skiing if you like skiing up in the Golan Heights. You have the beautiful Mediterranean Ocean. It's got a little bit of everything. And while you're on vacation,
2: exactly,
0: <laughs> and all shit pops off. And they actually have a, they actually have a pretty good economy too. Like they they have a pretty good economy. Well, they must
4: support all that military. You
0: know. Yeah, it's it's really a fascinating place. Hmm. So you know, and I mean, if you look after after this you know uh podcast now what we just talked about you also know that you have the Mossad and the idf protecting you and they have done a really good job of protecting their country like a really good job
4: hmm. yeah like as a mercenary if it's like i i was in the Mossad. that's like oh we're signing you up
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll take the massad is you know do you know you heard about the 72 olympics
2: uh is that the munich thing
0: yeah, the Munich Olympics where like the Jewish athletes were killed, and then the Mossad was like, "Yeah, we're gonna go kill the people who killed them." Like they were just like, you know, once again the Mossad—they just, you know, balls of steel. They don't care. They're just gonna do what they <laughs> like. You look into like what the Mossad has done. They basically have infiltrated everybody. They everyone, just huh? Gotten so ruthless. Yeah, I except for one, they couldn't find a way through the. Port. Oh, oh it was Juan. A happy
4: accident. <laughs> What'd you say, Juan? They were like, that was a happy accident. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I think they take me, because that's what
0: I am. I'm a happy accident. (laughs) Who's being unprofessional now? (laughs) (laughs) I would think... You started it, man!
4: (laughs) I would think
2: some other countries are trying to uh, do similar similar, uh, things to get on that level. Yeah. You I mean, You just yeah. gotta take a lesson from them.
4: Oh, no, yeah, I do yeah, agree I with that. Though good. it does seem strange that we could never say something like, "Well, you can only immigrate here if you're of a certain amount of
0: whatever." Yeah, the oh, what? can you imagine? Well, no, it's just it's uh, the oh it's my gosh. easier. It's easier to immigrate if you're Jewish. Oh, it's like encouraged, that guy from that guy like. from New York moved there, but you know, it actually. Made I don't like the idea. I don't like the idea of
2: any. I mean, like I said. They've gone through hell. I mean, what? I don't like yeah. the idea of any country that's based on an ethnicity. That yeah, race? A, a race. I mean, I just think right. that's a very slippery slope. And can you imagine? Can you imagine oh, anyone is. else? And I'm sure there are countries in the Middle East that are trying to do that too. I mean, it's it's no. but can right. you imagine anyone else trying to do that?
0: Right now, actually. I had a really good conversation on the train while I was in Israel with an uh, Israeli woman because she had said, "Oh, did you hear about like some at, like the day before I was on that train, like a young seventeen or eighteen year old woman had been murdered by like her Arab boyfriend," and so she was like complaining because like, "Oh, this terrible Arab person did this," and, it's not and she has I an axe was, to grind like, in I that was, like, fight, but. Oh, she definitely had an axe to grind. And I just was said, Look, obviously, I'm not from here. And I said, I'm curious. And I said, You know, I said, doesn't it seem, I said, It seems to me, I was like, I don't live here clearly. So I don't know what your life was like. You grew up here. But I said, It would seem to me that at some point you have to forgive. You can't just blanketly blame a people group because of the violence of a few people. And she just would not hear. Mm. And I was like, And I was just like, It made me kind of sad because. Like, you know, like, it just seemed like very kind of like a very narrow-minded way of thinking of like, oh, this guy killed this woman, so therefore it's because he's a bad Arab. And I was like, no, like, they aren't all bad. And we had this, like, interesting conversation, but at the end you could tell she was still, like, kind of bitter about it and didn't want to hear anything I had to say. And I was like, okay, well, she's not going to listen to me. But I was like, at least I got to, like, ask her questions as to why. Mm. But again, in her
4: defense, did they ever put their defenses down? They're done,
0: right? So, like, I—the yeah. thing is—is I could see it from both sides because they feel like if they let their guard down, then it's over. They're gone. You know, they're all wiped out. So, you know, it's a very doesn't sound like a, doesn't sound like, like, like an a, environment I'd want like to live an, in. That's for sure. It's it sounds it, to me it just you know sounds like a no win scenario. Like especially on that front, I would still live there. I wouldn't care. I'd go there.
2: I don't know. It sounds like it's just, I mean, how is that not, like, racism? I mean, like I said, I don't
0: Oh, it's definitely like, racist. It's accepted. It's definitely racism. For Because they have a lot of enemies. It's I mean, it's, I don't know. Right.
2: I, it's, I don't know enough like, very much about the situation. It just doesn't pass the smell test to me. I mean, it just seems, eh, nah, I don't like it. But, um. No. I wonder how long it will last like that. I think it was just constantly stay that way. Yeah. It just seems-
0: I mean, as long as both sides keep blaming each other, it's going to keep continuing, you know? Oh, well, you know, you did this, you did that. You took our homes, you killed these people. You started this war, you started this war. You know, as long as everybody keeps going back to what happened in the past, you're never going to be able to have a good like, I can't
2: imagine any uh, country that's built strictly on a, 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 a race being successful in the long term I mean it's like you're basically putting your, yeah. like, us versus them from from, from the right. word Mentality go it's like which, man, yeah. it's a tiny little country and,
4: and it if should, if should at any time anything wipe out a large number of those people I mean even now in the sense that like a pandemic or something came through and wiped out enough people I mean that could change the tide of the world oh at, yeah in a place Definitely. like that that's yeah. not a lot of people man
3: no Eight million 8 people millions. is
0: not a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, that actually reminded me. It was very interesting because when I got there, I expected security to get in at the airport to be a pain in the butt. I walked in. I didn't have a, I didn't have to get checked baggage. I went up to the customs agent. They said, we you here for business or pleasure. I said, I'm here on vacation. They stamped my passport let me through. The customs place where they checked your baggage was closed and I just walked right through and got in my taxi and went into town. When I left, they detained me for a half <laughs> hour. <laughs> they x-rayed me. They, I went through the x-ray machine. They tore apart my bag. Then they had me repack my bag. Then they took it to a separate waiting area off the concourse. They x-rayed me Three separate times, took apart my phone, took apart my bag again, and then grilled me. They asked me like the same series of questions, like six different Damn. ways. Again and again and again and again and, and again. And this is the country you're what's co-signing you sh- on your- living in? <laughs> Definitely. I would live there. Dude, if they're that thorough on keeping people safe, I would live there in a heartbeat.
2: That sounds pretty big brother to me.
0: It didn't, it didn't bother me for a second. And it was actually kind of funny because the guy, like, he just kept asking me the same question. And I finally, I was like, and I finally just said, I was like, you're just asking me the same question in a different way. And he gave me this little smirk. And I just shrugged my shoulders. I was like, continue. I was like, because I knew, like, he's trying to trick me. Because he laughs his way they, to prison. Yeah, well, no, but see, that's, <laughs> how they try, that's how they try. That's just how they're trained. That's how you catch people. You try and see how consistent someone an- someone's answer is. If someone, you know, is actually they asked me where i worked and what was the name of the company i worked they just asked me several different ways if you have a fake alibi you're less likely if you haven't like made that a part of your personality for like your secret mission or whatever you know you get asked something but you get asked several different ways and your answers don't line up they become more suspicious so i just knew that it was all part of like the skill of how they ask people but it'd be uh, interesting to see how sanguine
2: you are if that's like somebody in a, in a different situation where you like you're scared or you're worried, or if even in the states if somebody like if you're at t s a and they're they're detaining you for thirty uh-huh. minutes are you gonna be as uh oh hey, it's just protecting me or are you gonna be like what the fuck dude i gotta get to gotta get
0: to my flight or me me personally i would probably i was there early enough because i knew like lines could be like i could be delayed. So I just made sure I was there early enough. I've had I've been detained here not as long at here at airports in America. Where was the last time it was? Was it Michigan? It was either Michigan or Denver, but the same a similar thing happened to me. It was more for like fifteen minutes, but it didn't bother yeah. me. And I was like, man, nah, they're just. It wouldn't doing bother their me thing. Isn't it
2: absolutely and some we're just kind of ranting, but like, isn't it absolutely insane no, that before two thousand and eleven there was no TSA? And yeah. How like how many Pre- attacks do you think we've uh avoided by having them?
0: I have no I'd idea. I'd be curious to know who knows.
4: I know for a fact, um, because I have family that work pretty high up in Homeland Security, they stop a lot. But uh, There are lots of things that you never see because well, yeah, they, they, they catch aren't a- gonna
0: announce them. They aren't no, never gonna an announce mean, them. I mean,
4: but no. it's it's uh it's pretty much daily, man.
2: You know, we it's absolutely, uh, of, uh, relevance these days, but, but I have, like this hobby of teasing people about, um, everyone getting a chip and it's solving all the world's problems. We should do an episode <laughs> on that. Oh, that sounds like a great you, idea. You <laughs> think about it. It's the ultimate form of like, uh, of yeah, social control. No, we're not social control, but like, like you have no problem with TSA or, or, uh the military like, doing their thing to keep people safe. Think about it. If you, everyone was chipped, there would never be a murder again, ever again in the rest of the history. Because people would be able to prove who it is every okay, single like, time.
3: Oh, no, I, I think mm-hmm. the murders would still well, happen. They'd
2: happen, like, out of passion. Just people would just get but, like, caught. Every
3: single one would get caught.
0: Were well, you talking about, like, a tracking yeah. chip? Uh, or just an identity chip? Okay. Yeah, you're talking about a yeah, chip. A chip, yeah, it could be like would... your
2: ATM card. It could be like your way of opening your phone. It could be Well, dude, if they eliminate cash right your now, you got a chip in every card. could do everything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it, like there's that argument for it, but at the same time, that's also so... Like eventually, it'll get that way someday. I'm not going to lie. It's probably going to happen. Um, am I all for that? Mm, personal chips? No, not really. But I do understand that it's most likely inevitable. And you know, the thing about it that it just really isn't, it's, that just becomes a form of government oppression and control because if they don't like what you're doing, they can just, Oh, like maybe like holding you at an airport instantly. for 30 minutes
2: and grilling you. How's that not government control? No, but
0: okay. That's, okay, But that's okay. That's keeping not you safe. Like shutting off. No, it's, it's okay. <laughs> the extent of keeping, that's the extent of keeping you safe. But like if they have that level of control, then it doesn't take, it's not very much of a further reach to, hey, you know what? We don't like this person because he doesn't, didn't vote the way we would have hoped he would in the election. So we're just going to take away his access to his money if it's all digitized. And then we're going to take, take him away from his home and he's going to have to live on the streets.
2: I'm kind of going in that direction. I mean, ca- I mean paper cash is... We're
0: kind of going...
2: Going away, going away going, in our yeah, lifetime. Paper
0: cash is on its way out. That's just the problem I see with that because the minute then, then that way you can control, you can very easily control you, the population just by, just by, you know, threatening, hey, you know what, we're just going to take away your money. And it's not going to take very many times for people to see other people in their lives that have their money taken away or their homes taken away. And then everyone's just going to be afraid of having their, you know, comforts taken away. Then they'll just, okay, we'll just do whatever the government says. It's very 1984, but it's also yeah, the book, not the year. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's very 1984, and there is some truth into that. You know, like I'm not big on trusting the government. I'm, I'm not. You know, I don't think the government currently is this super tyrannical overlord that wants to control everything. But at the same time, I don't trust people who are corrupt and just want more power yeah it's just yeah it is what it is you know so now that adam pulled a wand and went to urinate i'm the only one that didn't pee i feel proud of myself maybe you got the problem
2: (laughs) (laughs) sorry i I lasted as long as i could
0: (laughs) yeah no worries so yeah (laughs) Apparently, I am the one that has the problem because I. We're going be to like, <laughs> like, be known as the pea and
4: cheese grading podcast. Like you're going to be constantly drinking
0: something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh wow,
3: so Good thing yeah, it's not liquor, man.
2: <laughs> I'd be curious to see uh, if any, like, if if you did try to move ever, if this would be, uh, yeah, would be found, and they'd be like, oh, let's hear everything he has to say about this, or is this like your interview? are like, oh, I'm going to make this podcast talking about how cool they are, <laughs> and
0: then they're going to let me in real easy. This is actually part of my interview, and I'm sending it to uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Is he tomorrow.
2: the Prime Minister, though?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, actually, he's actually Anunnaki, so I think I'm in. Oh, man, come on. But
2: isn't there like a the, like debate on that right now? He hasn't like, uh, won a majority. It's like between him and the other guy, right? Or are they finally settled yeah, it's that. It's him
0: and the other guy, yeah i'm not sure i have yeah like he's like he
2: there was no they have a different parliamentary system than we do very different process yeah and uh yeah he hasn't won and they've done like three or four elections he still hasn't won
0: he's been great for them i uh actually am part of the group of people that thinks there should be high turnover in the politicians so it's time for him to go nothing against him but you know, people should not remain power impo- Like, Putin is going to be president of Russia. They just re- con- redid the Constitution of Russia and redid the government. He's going to be president of Russia until he dies. He's the de facto dictator of Russia. It's just not, you know, said outwardly. And isn't it
2: arguable he's done a lot of good things for the average Russian, though?
0: He has, but at the same time, he's also the richest man in the world through corruption. He's not an honest, good dude. So, like, I can understand, like, you I know, think there's a the
2: pretty, pretty obvious uh, fact that uh, people, countries don't really care if somebody's a good, honest dude. They want somebody who's going to put money in their pockets or make them safer. Yeah. I mean,
0: we- yeah. They want someone who's going to give them a good economy and a safe place to work and live. That's basically mm-hmm. it. You know, me, I think that's just the female soldiers of the Israeli military. So I just simplify. <laughs> go to that.
4: Yep, they're never letting him in now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, Gal Gadot signed a petition, you know. she's sent me a letter of recommendation, so I think I'm gonna. That'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> when Wonder Woman has your back, how can you fail? I mean, come on. Absolutely.
4: I don't know if I'd want her on my back, but... <laughs> Let's switch sides, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetical, Jazz. Hypothetical. <laughs> I'm not trying to fuck Wonder Woman. Alright. <laughs> she's too tall. Everybody knows that. Is I she t-
2: is she really tall?
4: <laughs> For me, everyone's too tall. Are you kidding me?
2: <laughs> I got a step stool. <laughs> no, <I mean. laughs> she's only five ten.
3: Yeah, dude, I need a ladder.
2: <laughs> Damn, she's older than she's older That's than I am. Eight. I not <laughs> Probably not older than me, though.
0: Really. Holy shit! Oh, I don't, she's I don't, married. Why do we
4: always end up over here?
0: What? <laughs> what do you mean? End up over here?
4: <laughs> I'm not even the single one. You guys are the ones that.
3: Oh fuck it! I give up.
2: Man. Mark's clearly giving up on American women. Anyway, he's guys ready to pack his bags. <laughs>
0: The, but see the difference. One, and I'm ignoring what happened. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the one that shits in showers. Oh, it no, no, always comes back to that. <laughs> hey
4: man, you put me in a shitty situation. I'm gonna find a <laughs> way out.
0: And then you made a shitty situation literally shittier. <laughs>
4: and of course, we had to mention it again.
0: <laughs> Dude, I'm literally at some point not gonna be able to like show my face anywhere. <laughs> no, oh dude, my. you'll be famous for it. Oh, people yeah, that's great. Clap. That's a great thing people, to be. No, no, you'll be a, you'll be like a, a like a a hero, a podcasting hero for it. We can go to podcast conventions and people <laughs> will be like, "It's one the cheese grater."
2: It's
4: great on
0: the T
2: shirt, uh, Mark. You're gonna like to hear this. I'm doing a little research. Uh, What's that? There is a Maxim photo shoot called Women of the IDF. That yeah, <laughs> really that the, the gal that was in when she was 21. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. he's like
3: immediate search after <laughs>
4: stopping record
0: hey guys let's end the podcast right now <laughs> he's on ebay I gotta find this shit
2: <laughs> Ooh man she's been in some bad movies
0: like what the Fast and yep. Furious movies yeah Ugh. yeah I don't like those movies I know I'm one of the few people that don't they're terrible I feel like
2: there's a ton of people who don't like them it's good. I actually, I, yeah, I've never seen Wonder Woman. Full disclosure,
0: it's actually pretty good. I'm Every movie
3: she's
2: been in uh, looks
3: terrible. Wonder Woman is a Wonder Woman is a
0: solid flick. I will. I've heard, heard the
2: same, but I just haven't seen it.
0: I enjoy it. It's a good movie. Hmm. And that's not saying just because she's in it, like it's actually
3: a good movie. Damn, these were compelling, interesting. Yeah. He's worth it. So sorry, I just got distracted here. N- no, no.
0: Dude, you're looking at an Israeli woman. Of course it's distracting.
2: Have you ever been to any Is that
0: racist <laughs> though? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: to
2: have you any been of where? the like uh Arab countries around uh Israel? Spending time with
0: No. I wanted to go to Jordan, but it was just a little too expensive and a little too I didn't really have time to do it. Uh I do have tentative plans to go with somebody to Egypt, uh, possibly in the next couple of years with some friends. So we've talked about it, but, you know, we'll see how this whole virus situation. Oh, works that's out. right. Basically, the once the virus. Yeah.
2: Forgot about it for a couple of once hours. That-
0: yeah, me too. Once that goes away, then I think I'll start planning my next world trip wherever. But, but will I it though? Yeah, it will. I will. I would love to go back to the Middle East. That's would be number.
2: Have you have you been all through like Western Europe and?
0: Yeah, I've been to Japan. Paris, you know, France, England. I haven't been to Japan. I've never been to uh, Southeast Asia, so I really want to go to like East and Southeast Asia. That is somewhere
4: I want to go to. I haven't been there either.
2: Like Japan's on my short list.
4: Yep, it is for me too.
0: Mm, I'd rather go to Vietnam and Thailand. Anywhere where I'm taller
4: than somebody would be nice. That or would the
0: Philippines. Be... My dad went to the Philippines. My dad took my sister to the Philippines and I'm not going to lie, I was super What generous. draws
2: you to Vietnam?
0: It's beautiful. Beautiful country. And okay, super here's dangerous. My idea. If I go to Vietnam, <laughs> if I go to be I, I'll take the risk. Uh if I go to Vietnam, <laughs> you can get like a scooter, like a little gas-powered scooter for like 200 bucks. So I would like fly into wherever ho chi minh and saigon wherever and i would buy a scooter and then drive up the coast to north vietnam and then like you know drive back down just go on like a little road trip that would be so much fun. and
2: you legitimately don't think you would get robbed once
0: i probably would but i just wouldn't take like a ton of like valuable stuff with me we just take some cash as much as I think we need for. The <laughs> I don't know,
4: man. The thought of you on a scooter—you'd be pretty
2: intimidated on a scooter, because
0: I would, I would do it. I would love to go. That'd be so. I would fun. go, but I'm I would certainly like to do it with not. A group too
2: driving down the countryside. I'd mean, I could go to like the the most westernized cities. That's the only place I feel safe.
0: Oh no! After going to Africa, some of the places in Africa, I can go pretty much anywhere in the world, and I'll feel safe.
4: Yeah, when you get used to getting stopped every 30 minutes at the next place, we're <laughs> like, yeah, AK 47s, and everyone's running around yelling, and you're like, we didn't, why are they so upset? Yeah. We just pulled up. What's going on? They're like, oh, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. I am like, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you're talking to them because, man, this shit's scary. And then you're like, you just get relaxed, right? And then there's another one, and you're like, oh, yeah.
5: <laughs> And they're scary as the
4: last few. Oh, God. Yeah. So yeah, those places you got to know somebody or be yeah you got to. If
0: see that's the thing, I would, I would either go and then meet somebody, and you know, hey, you want to go with me, or arrange it ahead of time. Find somebody, find like a tour guide or something. Do something like that. That would be because I don't want to do that alone. I would want to do it with like a group of people. If you're arranging
2: to meet somebody ahead of time, you probably want to go to India. They're big on that. Arrange (laughs) arrange (laughs) arranged marriages and whatnot.
3: Yeah.
0: I well, gotcha. I, I want to go to India, not to get married. I want to go for the food. To, dude, I, yeah, used to exactly. go, I used to want to go yeah, to India. Uh, and
2: then Woo. I uh, read slash listened to this book called Chantaram. I was like, mm, fuck that. Uh-huh. No desire. It, it plummeted <laughs> down my list of places I wanted to go. It sounded sketchy.
4: It's just that with this whole virus thing, man, not being able to go to a restaurant just sucks.
0: That's true. It does well. Actually, restaurants here are opening back up. So, Juan, move to Houston. You'd like it's, it's better. I'm, I'm, it's just a better just city, way- better state. <laughs>
2: it's
4: oh, there's way better food. I'm not even gonna. That's not even <laughs> debatable. That's
3: yeah.
0: So yeah. So anyways, that's our episode on Israeli military and the Mossad. And <gasps> yeah. thank you everybody for listening. We'll holler at y'all next week. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody.
2: Why do you ask me that as soon as we start recording so I can embarrass myself?
4: (laughs) That's messed up. That's so messed up.